If you need a new roof or a repair, Easton Roofing will take care of you. Estimates are always free and suggestions are built on integrity. Visit EastonRoofing.com for more information. Get back to business faster with Easton Roofing. Easton Roofing. Integrity matters. Welcome to the Home Stretch Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes with you until 10 p.m. Kyle behind the glass. Kyle, how are you? We've got another show. Another show to preview a Chiefs playoff game. It's a great day. It's a great day. Chiefs football still alive, still doing well. A lot to get into today. We'll be joined by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Around 7.30, Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football, will join us at 8. Then Josh Briscoe joins at 9. Big news starting off. No, it's not Chiefs-related, but it is Chiefs-centric as Jim Harbo will accept a head coaching job with the L.A. Chargers. And no, I have no idea why I have such a hard time pronouncing the last name Harbaugh. Sorry, that was the first one I've got it right, Harbaugh. Kyle, don't laugh at me. There are certain names that are hard for everyone. I can get Nowitzki onto the Kumpo, Tua Tagovailoa, but you give me Jim Harbaugh, and it's so hard for me. All right, well, that's two, two pronunciations in a row you got right. Just yeah, so we're, we're keeping the streak going. Jim H., Getting the, uh, I sound like I'm saying Harbaugh, like like uh, like Haribo, like toys, you know. Pretty sure they make Monopoly. Haribo, I thought that's the the gummy teddy bear thing. The gummy teddy bear yeah. things too. Hasbro, that's what I was that's thinking. The, Jim, toy Jim Hasbro accepts head coaching <laughs> job with the Chargers. But let's be real now. This is a great get for the Chargers for L.A. They got their guy. They got the best head coach. I think the best head coach on the market. Now, you might be saying, Sterling, are you forgetting about Bill Belichick? No, I'm not forgetting about Bill. But if you're thinking of this for a long, long-term long answer, I think Jim's the guy more so than Bill. Not saying Bill Belichick doesn't have the pedigree or the ability to get it done over the next couple seasons, but if you're trying to build a team and get an organization to rally behind guys for an extended period of time, I think you go with the younger cat, right? You go with the guys that had success, obviously just winning a national title uh, at Michigan in college football. He's had success in the NFL, right? Again, nothing against Bill Belichick, but at this particular time, the, the year 2024, we saw what he looked like post-Tom. We saw, again, he's the greatest head coach of all time. I'm not denying that. But in the year 2024, do you want to go with a guy who can be with your team and grow with your team? Or a guy who's going to be strictly, if we don't win right now, how many years is he going to coach? Now, Mike Vrabel's obviously a great head coach. Pete Carroll's a great potential head coach, but he's kind of in the same boat at his age. I'm sitting here going, I think Jim Harbaugh, was the best coach, especially for the Chargers. 
This to me seems like an absolute great fit. Going back to the West Coast, um, he was a quarterback for the Chargers for two seasons, right? Um, Coach of the year with the Niners his first season. I, I'm still always surprised that why, why leave the Niners? Why did the Niners leave him? You go to the Super Bowl, you get beat by your brother, and then you're like, yeah, let's go, let's go college football. Come on. You were 44-19-1 and in your NFL career. That's absurd, man. I think this is the best man for the job if you're the L.A. Chargers. I agree with you. I, I think some could argue, you know, why not go with uh, an offensive guy like Ben Johnson from, from the Detroit Lions or, or Bobby sure. Schulich. Uh, Bobby Slowick, excuse me. Hey, thank you. See, we all have issues. <laughs> Slowick, my fault. I'm a little bit slow on the pronunciations Wick. right now. <laughs> but you're right. Harbaugh has obviously had success in the past as a head coach in the NFL. Then he went to Michigan, and he built a program. And I think that's exactly what the Chargers need. And this might be a bit of a stretch as a comparison, but when Urban Meyer left Jacksonville, they brought in Doug Peterson. Yeah. And he was able to... To build a you know a strong foundation, and yeah. Have a success, have a little bit of success so far. Um, I, I desperately, I think the Chargers desperately need someone to maybe tear down and rebuild. Well, a hundred percent around and, Justin and, Herbert, and that's why I say it makes more sense than an older head coach in Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll, who might not be around coaching wise to see it through. You know, um, that's a real possibility. Again, I don't think that Bill Belichick would have been a bad choice. But, again, if you're trying to think of this for the long haul, I do think Harbo, uh, Harbaugh, again, sorry, I told you it's a struggle for me. We all have issues. Harbaugh is the right man for the job. Uh, he obviously revamped not just Michigan, but obviously San Fran, right? San Fran was one of the worst teams in the NFL. They had missed the playoffs eight straight seasons, and what did he do? Took him to a Super Bowl, right? Went 44-19-1. and with them. Now the Chargers are a team that is going to have to figure out what they want to do. They fig- they finished 5 and 12 last year and the team is projected to be 27.5 million over the league salary cap, right? Not great. They have what what was it 180 plus million tied up in six guys. So there's going to be some questions to be had and quite frankly a lot of those guys might not be back. So Jim is going to have to figure out which way to go. Uh, what's semi-obnoxious now, if you are a Chiefs fan, get ready for the um, offseason hype to begin once again. It slowed down because everyone understood that Brandon Staley, hey, you're not that guy, pal. Finally, after how many years, this past offseason, it was like, yeah, okay. Chiefs won the Super Bowl yet again. We're wrong. We're done picking the Chargers in the offseason. Well, get ready for that to uh, ramp back up as... Uh, Jim Harbaugh takes over. Because you you know for a fact, Kyle, you know for a fact, you're about to get some off-season hype. Another off-season banner will be hung for the Chargers now that he's the head coach. I mean, that's, yes, but that's, consider this. What if he tears down? I mean, they, like you mentioned, they've got six guys tied up in 170, 180 million. Like, Khalil Mack's cap hit next year is near 40 million. Joey Bosa, thirty-six million. Keenan Allen, thirty-four. Mike Williams, thirty-two. Yeah. Derwin James, twenty. It, the Chargers could look a lot different under Harbaugh. Maybe they won't get that preseason recognition. 
And have the Chiefs not proven it? We know that. <laughs> no, no, we know the Chiefs have proven it. We're just used to the national media, sick and tired of seeing yeah. the dominance that has been the Kansas City Chiefs when the floor in the Mahomes era is an AFC championship game. They're not used to seeing this because, quite frankly, this success outside of the Pats and outside of, um, to an extent, the 49ers, right? You haven't seen it. It's not normal. This should not happen in the salary cap era when the NFL has had parity all season long, and yet the Chiefs still seemingly are rising to the top. So you try and find who's next. It's the same reason why if you play roulette, at least this is me playing roulette, if it's been red ten times in a row, probably going to throw some money on, on, on black next time around. Now, maybe that's not the smart thing to do. I understand it's a 50-50 shot in that particular 40, what is it, 48.5, whatever. whatever. Sorry, we're not counting green in this scenario here. So don't come at me. Same thing. I know it's an even shot, but you typically try and play the odds in your mind of it's going to switch. I think people are trying to have it switch, so they're picking a different team, but yet the Chiefs keep coming out on top. It is what they do. Other news around the NFL, Brian Callahan, the Bengals OC, is now promoted to the Titans head coach. Uh, We'll probably save some of that for Briscoe, get his thoughts there. But a lot of moving parts around the NFL right now while the Chiefs uh, continuously find ways to win. Um, I did find Lamar Jackson's quote today to be absolutely hilarious. Lamar Jackson was was asked what it's like to face the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, in the AFC Championship game. And he says, I don't like competing against him at all. <laughs> I, I, you got to appreciate that honesty. He it, knows who's coming to town. He's seen so many trash-talking players get their ass kicked. And after Deion Dawkins, who, by the way, Deion Dawkins, if you saw Kay Adams... That was lovely, watching Kedem's ask this question and Deion Dawkins actually give a thoughtful answer and response in regards to the trash talk. It made you have a lot more respect for Deion after that game. But again, you see all these trash-talking incidences before games with Mahomes involved, and yet what happens? Mahomes counting on his fingers, Mahomes saying good luck. Lamar Jackson says, you know what? No, I'm done. Let me see if I can say something that he, in the words of Michael Jordan, I took that personally. Try something that he cannot take personally. A genius move by Lamar. That's a chess move right Chess there. move by Lamar. Uh, let's get into some Chiefs audio. First, starting with uh, Andy Reid. Um, thought process right now is looking like Joe Tooney is trending towards out. Uh, source says he is unlikely to play, which means... Uh, what's going to happen with Nick Allegretti and the faith that she's have in him? So Andy Reid talks about Nick Allegretti. Allegretti is a guy that has started for us in a number of games, and all the guys look at him like he's a starter. Um, so everybody's got confidence that he can come in and, and do a nice job, tough kid. And not everything's the most uh, or the prettiest thing that you've seen, but he, he's going to fight you right to the end. And, um, and he's smart. So, yeah, good combination. Allegretti has started 13 games in his five-year NFL career. Nick Allegretti is a phenomenal backup offensive lineman. He's really, really good. 
if you look around the NFL, and I think these two teams, the AFC in particular, it rings true. It's not just how good they are at their top level. It's how much depth they have. With Miami, with the Bills, a lot of the talk was on their injuries and how it was going to be difficult for them to overcome. With the Chiefs, with the Ravens, every team in particular has injuries, right? Every single team, every single year, you're going to have injuries. No one goes to the year being 100% healthy. That's just not the realm of the NFL. That's not realistic. So the Chiefs made a emphasis on depth, and you've seen it ring true with Brian Cook, a starting safety, go down with injury. Mike Edwards steps up. Then Mike Edwards goes down with injury, and what happens? Chamari Connor plays 99% of the snaps and has his best game of the season, right? Uh, how about when uh, Willie Gate Jr. got injured and Nick Bolton for a big chunk of the season? Drew Tranquil, that's why that signing was so important. That's why you bring back offensive linemen like Nick Allegretti. It's why you have Donovan Smith and Wanye Morris. It's why you have such an emphasis on not just the starters, but the second and third stringers as well. It's why when McKinnon goes down, you keep around Clyde Edwards-Alaire, a guy who knows the offense. Is he a bona fide starter in the NFL? Probably not, but he knows the offense, and you're not going to get hurt by him. So when you look at this Chiefs roster, I like to think of it not just as how good they are at the top, but how deep they are from 1-53. to I always point out the Detroit Tigers in baseball for a long time. Remember how good they were talent-wise at the top and then at the bottom? That's why they never really won a ton of meaningful playoff games. Right? Because you had Verlander. You had um, you, Max, Scherzer. Max Scherzer. You had Victor Martinez. You had Miguel Cabrera. Uh, you had uh, J.D. Martinez. You had Curtis Granderson. Yeah. You, you had all these top-end guys, but then you're filling them in with uh, AAA players. Those guys could not step up in big moments. The Chiefs, on the other hand, they're 1-53. through They've had guys step up in big-time moments. That, again, is what makes this Chiefs team so impressive to me Um, and why, again, I think it's going to help them against the Ravens even if some of these starters cannot go. In particular, Joe Tooney. Again, massive loss. Not saying it's not. Joe Tooney was first-team All-Pro. If you want some analytical stats here, ESPN had him first in the entire NFL in pass block win rate at 99.1%. Dog, do you understand how absurd that is? It's a brick wall. Over 99% of the time, he's like, yeah, dude, I'm winning. Less than one out of 100 times. Less than 99.1. Less than one out of 100 times are you like, oh, man, he may have got me. That could mean it's a push. Yeah, I want to see that play now. <laughs> That's the win rate. That could be a push rate. The point nine. So again, big loss when you lose Joe Tooney. But when you saw Nick Allegretti come into that game, and even at times this season, I always have a feeling of confidence. I really do. Because I would love to get your thoughts here, Kyle. It's not like the... Or at least when Joe Tooney came out of the game, it wasn't like the announcers made it well-known. I mean, when did you realize Joe Tooney came out? It took me... Series? 
few plays. It took, it took me. Uh, I will not lie. It took me a little bit before I go. Oh wait, that that's seventy three. That, that's that's not Joe. Yeah. No, you're right. I, now that I I think back and I remember it, I didn't notice a difference at all. I think I found out. I, maybe it was Matt Derrick tweeted. Yeah. Uh, Joe Tooney. Uh, Back in the locker room, I can't remember what it was, but no, you make good. Uh, you make a, a solid point there. It, we really did not notice the difference, it, it, even though Joe Tooney, as you mentioned, the All Pro that he is, Allegretti has been with this team for for several years now, and he's had to step in before. He's done it admirably. Yeah, and again, I'm not saying over a full season you're going to see first team All Pro Nick Allegretti, but I do think over a game you can see him step up and show out, which, again, we saw for at least nearly a half against a pretty darn good interior pass rush of the Bills with Ed Oliver and Daquan Jones, right? I mean, again, they're not the Ravens. I get that. But that's still a pretty good tandem in the middle. Uh, Some more news from Kansas City. The Chiefs also practiced without four other starters, including Isaiah Pacheco with a toe. That does not seem concerning, as he told... um, sources that he would absolutely be ready to play against the Ravens. Trey Smith out with an illness. Not super concerned there. Derek Noddy again out with an elbow. And Mike Edwards still has to pass concussion protocol, so he was out with a concussion. Willie Gay Jr., who suffered that neck injury, or re-aggravated it, if you will, um, was a limited participant today. So I will also point out that ESPN's Jeremy Fowler says X-rays of Willie Gay's neck revealed no major damage. So that's more of a wait and see. Um, speaking of safety, I thought Shamari Connor did a admirable job. This was his best game of the season. He's really started to get a larger role as the season's progressed. I will be the first to admit, trust me, you know I pump my chest when I, when I get things right. Jamari Connor, I never thought of as more than a depth piece, more than a good special teamer. I saw, I saw a guy who was very versatile in college, right? And I thought, he's not a cornerback, and I thought he was going to be initially used as a corner, right? He's a guy that, to me, makes the transition from corner to safety, while a guy like Legereus Sneed can make the, the, the transition from safety to, to corner based on the athleticism and speed. Like, Legereus ran a 4-3-something. Chamari ran a... I, was it a 4-7 or a 4-6? It, it, he was not known for being super quick. And so I'm thinking he might have some issues. Boy, was I wrong. Again, shows you why you shouldn't get enamored. Even I always say to, to, to people, don't get enamored with uh, the combine and everything. But I got caught up in that. Jamari Connor is a heady player. He's very smart. He knows where to be. He's a sure tackler. And again, the versatility, as we've already seen, has shined through. He's already done more as a rookie this season than I truthfully thought he was going to be. That's impressive. I mean, Jamari Connor's been impressive. So Andy Reid is talking about Jamari. Yeah, so I, listen, I thought Jamari did a nice job um, in there. Uh, that that encompasses calls and playing for a young guy to go in and be able to communicate back there is not the easiest thing, and he did it well. I think it helped that he, he's, he's been able to go in and nickel situations, dime situations, so he's it's not the first time he was in the game, but... It was for that extended period of time, and I thought he did a nice job. Physical, good tackler, did well in the coverage game. Again, he played 99% of snaps, and Andy brings up a good point, and that's why I was talking about the versatility. He's played in the nickel. 
played in the slot occasionally. So it's not like he wasn't in the game, but at this amount of snaps at a single position, it was. And, and that was a great showing from Chamari. Um, very impressed. Again, he'll, he'll have one play he'll want back, which is the fumble where he should have just fallen on the ball. He tried to pick it up. Bill's player hand got in there and knocked it away from him. But uh, that's a rookie thing. That That's a, you probably get away with that in college. NFL, you're not. So he'll learn. But again, overall, phenomenal game from Shamari Connor. Yep. To, to your point, uh, PFF, uh, I'll use PFF to, to support your point here. Uh, Shamari Connor, the, the third highest rated chief in that game. And yeah. the highest rated safety out of both the division games, or all division games. Yeah. Very impressive. Um, we'll hear from Justin Reed in just a little bit later on in the show. One safety that I, I'm I'm a little nervous about is Kyle Hamilton. Just slight aside here. We think of Justin Reed as a big safety, right? Don't you think of him as a hard hitter, a big safety? Yeah, but he's built, you know. 6'1", 207. Big mm-hmm. dude, right? Kyle Hamilton for the Ravens. Six four two twenty. That's a linebacker build. <laughs> yeah, that that's Jamal Adams. I mean, like like we're talking about a big dude here. So that's one guy for the Ravens that gives me a little cause to pause. If you are a Chiefs fan, and you're looking for a fun matchup. Look at Travis Kelsey and Kyle Hamilton, or wherever Kyle Hamilton tries to go. If you want to see Andy Reid, Matt Nagy, uh, the offense try and get creative, watch for what they try and do to take Kyle Hamilton out of the equation because he is that good. Kyle Hamilton is a all-pro player. He is one of the best safeties in football. You'll start hearing his name more and more and more. He's getting some recognition, but he's still a pretty young cat. Um, that's a matchup I'm looking for. Safety play in this game is going to be pretty interesting to watch. Normally, I'm not a huge fan. I, I think safety play can be a little overrated, right? I know it's a little... Um, I don't think it's the most important position. Right, I think you can get away with lesser play there, but when you watch this upcoming game against the Ravens and the Chiefs, you're, you're, you're going to see some some big-time safeties making some big-time plays, and you're going to have to watch them, especially on the Chiefs' side, in regards to Justin Reed, Shamari Connor go up against Isaiah Likely and potentially the return of Mark Andrews, as well as have to be nails in the run game, while on the other side of things, Kyle Hamilton would go up against Travis Kelsey. Safety play might be paramount in this game. Uh, some more audio to get to that I want to talk uh, and listen to Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes talking about Lamar Jackson. It's challenging. Um, the way he's able to just be a competitor and score the, score the football, obviously, and then their entire team. I mean, it's a, it's a tall task. you got to go out there and play your best football, and if you make any mistakes, it seems like uh, the game's going to go the other way. So, uh uh, we've been able to play in a couple games, not in a few years now, um, but I've admired watching him from afar and know that uh, it's going to be a great challenge for us every time we go up against him. Do you think some type of challenge facing a guy like that at the high level this year? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, he's going to be the MVP for a reason. I mean, he's, he goes out there, he, he leads his team, um, he, he scores, um, he, he runs, he throws, he does whatever it takes to win, and, and that's what the great greats do. And uh, uh, like I said, it'll be a great challenge for our defense, but also a great challenge for our offense going against their defense. So uh, it's going to take a, a full team effort if we want to find a way to get a win. Are there parts of his game that you particularly appreciate? Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest thing that you, you like to see in, in other quarterbacks is, is how they improve every single year. Um, and obviously, um, everybody talked about his running, but you can see how he's developed as a passer, throwing from within the pocket, arm angles, making the, the accurate throw in big situations and, and big moments. Um, and that's what the great quarterbacks do. Um, and he continues to get better and better every single year. And so uh, I knew we were going to play in a lot of games like this as our career has gone on, and I'm sure this, won't, this will be the first of many. I love 
everything Mahomes just said. And I hope a lot of people listening, Lamar is not a running back, man. I know it was fun to say when he first came into the NFL. I get it still a, a um, something that tries to get pushed by some people. Lamar Jackson's a damn good quarterback. Now, I know he's a run-first quarterback, and you'll see it based on how the Ravens' offense is constructed. As much as I've touched on and loved up on to an extent, I I kept saying Todd Munkin, man. Todd Munkin is a game-changer for the Ravens. They still pass the ball at the 32nd clip in the NFL. Now, part of that's when you're winning and you're up in a lot of games, you'll run more. But same time... Lamar Jackson is completing 67% of his passes, and they're not just checkdowns. Eight yards in attempt. Now, I understand Mahomes has had a lot of drop issues, right? Let's, let's, let's be completely honest. That's a full yard more than Mahomes' yards per attempt, right? Uh, touchdowns, 24 touchdowns, seven interceptions throwing. And if you watch Lamar this year, I have noticed a step forward. I do think Todd Munkin plays a major role in that. But if you try and act like Lamar Jackson is just the same old Lamar of the past, you're going to watch Sunday a, a different type of player. Again, I'm not saying the Ravens come out and throw all up and down the field against Legereus and Trent McDuffie. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying he poses a much more difficult matchup than I think some people want to give credit to. I will also point out, he finally has some good weapons. Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham Jr., Rashad Bateman, as much as it's uh, funny to say, Nelson Aguilar, when he's your sixth weapon, because you have Isaiah Likely and Mark Andrews, that's a deep core. That's a deep, deep core. So... What the Chiefs have to do, and I'll get into it a lot more as the, the week goes on in more detail, you have to get pressure on Lamar, and you have to get it quick. Because the Chiefs are number one in the NFL in sack percentage. Right? We're not looking at the box scores of how many sacks, because that doesn't tell the full picture. How many sacks based on how often is it a pass play? The Chiefs are number one in the NFL. Right? That's phenomenal. The Ravens, on the other hand, well, if you look at just the sacks he's taken, it won't be a lot because, again, as I mentioned, they passed the ball 49% of pass plays, or 49% of all plays, right? You're looking at a 1950s offense almost. Like, this team does not throw very often, so the overall sack numbers won't be high. But they are 24th in sack percentage. That's not great. Bottom 10, bottom 8, 9 in the NFL. What does that mean? This is one spot that stylistically the Chiefs actually have an advantage. Getting pressure and bringing down Lamar Jackson. Now, this will be a lot of pressure on Charles Aminahu, George Karloftis, Chris Jones. I don't want to see this defensive line of Kansas City do what they did against the Bills. I want to see what they did against the Miami Dolphins. Because you have to treat Lamar at times... Like Devon Achan, like a guy who can get outside. When you play a team like the Bills, Josh Allen can get outside, but it's more, what, north-south, right? So you can't leave your contain here. Same thing with Lamar. You can't leave contain. You can't just let him get these lanes. He will run through, as he showed last week, for 11 carries and 100 yards. If you don't get the sack early, which if you don't get it early against Lamar, hands up, (laughs) look around, Try and, try and group around him. Because if you just have one guy run towards him, he'll run around you. But seriously, like, like uh, spies to an extent 
Do you trust Drew Tranquil one-on-one? Like, I love Drew Tranquil. I love Willie Gay Jr. Against Josh Allen, very big guy. But I, I like my chances of one of those guys at least getting to him, slowing him down so another guy can, can wrap him up. With Lamar, you trust him one-on-one? No, you have to have a game plan, and Spagnuolo will. We know this about Spags. He's a big game coordinator. He knows everything that I'm telling you right now. He knows about the Chiefs' sack percentage, and, and he knows all about Lamar's uh, weaknesses and how you can fluster him. But again, I'm telling you right now, this is not the same Lamar Jackson throwing the football that we have seen in the past. Am I saying he's Mahomes or Josh Allen or Joe Burrow? No, I'm not. But he was fourth in yards per attempt this year. They're good. They're effective, and they're efficient. The box score just might not show it because when you see 36-78 yards passing, that's not a lot. Because they don't ask him to throw a lot. He's efficient. The Chiefs have to get them behind the sticks. If you can get the the Ravens into a first and 15, into a second and 12, into a second and 17, well, all of a sudden, Gus Bus ain't running down your throat, right? All of a sudden, a five-yard gain is now second and seven, second or third and seven. My, My point is you can't let the Ravens get ahead of the sticks. If you do, this defense, which struggles with power backs, outside of Derrick Henry for some reason, will get exploited. It's all about matchups. Let's take a break. We're going to come back. We'll be joined by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. The home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Nick, it is so good to talk to you yet again on a victory week, right? It's so nice to talk to we're you. Still we're still going, we're baby. still looking How ahead. How satisfying. How satisfying can you get? And, you know, I guarantee that Travis Kelsey would have a touchdown. And, and I come to think, you know, maybe he had two because his brother was there. One was for him. And one was for his brother. Uh, I just love the fact that now that Philadelphia is out, his brother can be there to kind of take care of Taylor in the suite, you know. And and, and frankly, as as much a professional as Travis is, to be able to completely focus on the game, and he is, he and his brother are two of the most healthy, uh, you know, quality, uh, productive brothers right the way they support each other no egos so i think that was a beautiful thing and of course like the packers game when anders carlson missed a 41 yarder this game came down to a field goal as well and we had a guy number seven in harrison butker who made a 47 yarder into the wind look easy in the first quarter which ended up proving the difference because Tyler Bass, who had been 9-for-9 nine nine in big kicks before that, badly missed, didn't take uh, into account with the gusting winds left to right, and badly missed that 44-yarder that would have tied up the game. So, you know what? It's, it was amazing, shocking, exciting, exhilarating. And unlike the, the past few games, my friend, seasons, where the Chiefs have kind of hit their stride in early December – they really didn't hit stride until mid-January, but I'll take it. 
<laughs> I, w- I want to ask you this because you brought up some good points there, especially with Butker's 47-yarder into the wind. I feel like that's not getting enough love because that is extremely, extremely difficult. And then obviously Tyler Bass is at the very end. But obviously you know better than anyone else. When you're kicking in those conditions, can you try and walk us through the mindset and just the, the overall philosophy you have to go to? And what's harder, kicking in a wind where it's into you, a wind that's gusty in the rain? What do, what do all goes through your mind in these different situations here? Well, when it's gusting, it's more unpredictable. Anybody who's played golf knows that. Here's a little insight that, um, frankly, may have made a difference. When I would kick in Arrowhead, which uh, at times would have bad winds, I remember one against uh, one game against the future Super Bowl team, the Cincinnati Bengals and Boomer Esiason and company. Back in 88, I had five field goals in that game, but the wind was ridiculous. And I remember going into the wind, there was about a 35-yarder left hash. I had to aim literally five yards outside the left upright and brought it in. And the other thing I did, though, was when you're a right-footed kicker, the ball is tilted slightly to the right, because that helps with the hook. People that play golf again, there's a little bit of a hook when you got a beautiful natural power stroke. But when there's a strong wind left to right, as there was, I would have my holder literally not only not tilted to the right, I'd have him tilted not only straight up, but maybe even slightly to the left, which sounds weird, but what happens is in those first 20 yards when the ball's cutting into that wind, it's at an angle cutting into the wind, so it reduces the impact of that push by the wind and probably would have cut Tyler Bass's kick in half in terms of how far it was blown to the right may have made a difference. So um, it's tough in those situations. And every what's great about the NFL, every single detail matters. One play makes a difference. Anders Carlson knows that. The Packers know that. What's great about the NFL now is even in replay, in slow motion, like the slow motion with that McCall Hartman fumble, <laughs> even those ones are incredibly hard to to decide with the referee standing right there, taking several minutes to look at it at, from different angles. And by the way, let's go to that play. I don't understand why. I just don't understand why. With Isaiah Pacheco averaging almost seven yards a carry, and just gassing them, we got the ball after their stupidly chosen, uh, in retrospect, fake punt. We're down at the three-yard line. Why don't you just give it back to Isaiah Pacheco? It, it, it's like we got a little cutesy the way that Buffalo started to get cutesy. And by the way, do you know who we tackled? Do you know who was the person in on that fake punt that the Chiefs uh, with – I th- there's a um, – Someone's saying we only had 10 of our own men on the field, but we shut down that fake punt. And guess who was carrying it? DeMar Hamlin. DeMar, DeMar Hamlin, the guy who a year ago almost died on that same field, almost in the same place, by the way, and we shut them down. So uh, we could have collapsed a little bit then when McCall Hardman um, tried to get the ball in the end zone instead of protecting the darn ball. Not a good choice, just like, frankly – uh, you know, returning that punt from the from the goal line against Denver was one way that that uh, unfortunately was a mistake. And McCall's a good guy, but please, you know, just not good judgment. But having said that, things like that will happen, and the great teams are so competitive. Starting with Patrick Mahomes, 
that they just overcome it. They will themselves to not let it bother them. We shut down their offense, even though they had, you know, tremendous success with us in the running game. For the most part, we found a way to shut them down. And in the end, we're back for the sixth straight year in the AFC Championship game. <laughs> Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is our guest. And sticking with that theme, in the Patrick Mahomes era, ever since he took over as the starter, the floor is the AFC Championship game. The floor. I mean, let that sink in of just this continued success that Chiefs have had in the Mahomes era. Obviously, he deserves a ton of credit, but it's also the team building in totality here. I mean, from your viewpoint here, you played in the NFL. You know how hard it is just to make to the playoffs, let alone to the AFC Championship game, six straight years. Can you talk about how hard and impressive this is? Well, it's historic. I mean, I, I believe that the Patriots, did they do it eight years in a row? That's hard to believe that they did it. But, you know, th- this is historic, it's, and it's also from the beginning of Patrick's career. You saw as he came down that tunnel, I came out of that locker room in Buffalo uh, way back exactly 30 years ago, almost to the day when we're playing with Joe Montana and Marcus Allen and Derek Thomas and company and Marty Schottenheimer in the AC Championship game. The determination and focus on his face was extraordinary. And it's just, I, I, I challenge anyone listening to remember a game in the playoffs, not counting the Tampa Super Bowl, which had that weird energy because of the, the Andy Reid son, you know, uh, both COVID and the Andy Reid's son um, accident two days earlier. But separate from that, has anyone ever seen Patrick in bad weather ever play poorly? Mm-hmm. He has uh, such athleticism. He's absolutely super quick. May not be the fastest guy, but he almost always finds a way to elude. But he has the balance. He has the athleticism. He has the ability to adjust in poor weather. And by the way, it's supposed to rain in Baltimore. So while the running game of the the Ravens can give them even further edge, you just cannot count out Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City Chiefs team. Yeah, let's talk about this upcoming game. Then let's let's switch gears again. The Chiefs won. Uh, we can have some uh, some celebration, especially when it comes to drinking some El Bendito Yankee tequila, right? We can go drink some of the best tequila out there. But the players, obviously, now they are taking a look ahead at this particular game. What are you looking forward to? What matchup in particular you think that might be an underrated storyline as the Chiefs go to Baltimore and take on the Ravens? Well, we've got to find a way to mirror, just as we had to against Josh Allen, we've got to mirror this guy. I mean, as good as the the uh, Bills were with 130 yards a game rushing, the best in the NFL with 156.5 yards a game is the Ravens, and in the playoffs that becomes an even bigger factor. So, you know, you're not worrying uh, in the, the playoffs, you're, you're worried about winning. You're not worrying so much about keeping your quarterback healthy. You want him to be healthy, but you've got to just do whatever it takes. We've seen that with Patrick Mahomes, you know, getting a crack in his helmet, right? you just got to do what you have to. And so we have to account for him. So we have to have mirrors. We have to have multiple redundancies to cover for him because no one runs like him in the secondary when he accelerates his slashing, his decision-making. But if we can shut down the run to some degree, and number two, of course, is if we can get ahead of them in points, 
forcing him to throw. We've got Trent McDuffie and Legereus Sneed, who continue to to cement themselves as the best duo. It's a little bit like uh, I'm a little biased, but Albert Lewis and Kevin Ross and you know that great secondary we had back in the in the late '80s, early '90s. But uh, that that to me is going to be the key. How do you shut them down? And then. As Chris Jones said after the game, we know that's going to be our biggest challenge, to shut down their running game. And, by the way, another way to do it is turn the ball over. Mm. The biggest um, challenge for the defense, as good as it has been for the Kansas City Chiefs, is it has not turned the ball over nearly as much as we'd like. It's made key plays. It's been an incredible defense, and it's playing better in the playoffs. Now the time is ripe to make Lamar Jackson make that one forced throw, get that fumble, get that interception, those things turn around the game. And as we started this broadcast with, every single play makes a difference, every calculation, every detail. That's why the National Football League is four times more popular than the NBA and Major League Baseball. Offensively, what do you expect the Chiefs to do in this game? Obviously, in the playoff victory so far, it's been a heavy dosage of Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice, as well as Isaiah Pacheco. But then you saw this past game, MVS getting more involved. Do you think a MVS or a McCole Hardman, or if Kadarius Toney is healthy in plays, do you think one of those tertiary receivers needs to step up and make a big play in this game? Or do you think just focusing on Kelsey and Rice will be enough? No, it's never enough. You've got to be unpredictable. And let's give some kudos to MBS, who's been uh, – he has been lambasted most of the season, came through with big, big catches. We're going to need two or three more of those. Rasheed Rice, four catches, 47 yards, but they were all key. Even Edwards Hilaire, 28-yard run, a big run, just kept saying to the Buffalo defense, we're in your face, we're going to gash you when we can, you can't stop us, and you have to respect our run. And then everything else follows. Same thing, by the way, with, with Patrick Mahomes, is he gives, is given permission to run more, but we just don't want him to have to run. And the one we're going to have to account for, because this is a Ray Lewis-type Baltimore defense. They are brutal. They are angry. They are tough tacklers. Raquan Smith, 158 tackles. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, Patrick Green. They're they're good linebackers. And then you've got Justin Metabuiki, who's had 13 sacks, and Jadavian Clowney, nine sacks. Kyle Van Noy, nine sacks. I mean, that's a lot of sacks. And we, in turn, of course, have had our share as well. But those are things that we have to do when we watch that Tampa Bay frustrating Super Bowl a couple of years ago, we remember they made Patrick run laterally all day long. You know who's another unsung hero for us from that game is a certain Juwan Taylor, yeah. who, uh, you know, the offensive line itself did a good job. He didn't have any major penalties, to my knowledge, and we're going to rely on people like Juwan Taylor to, to neuter that pass rush from Baltimore. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, last season, Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley obviously had their issues in the regular season, but the postseason came around. They played their best football, looking like the same thing with Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor. All right, as always, Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is brought to you by El Bendito Yankee Tequila. Time now to pick out your El Bendito Yankee Tequila player of the game. Lowry, who is going to step up big for the Chiefs in this one? You know, uh, Isaiah Pacheco, he is, to me, and, and, and let's, again, give credit to Harrison Butker, who has just been unbelievable. These are the two best kickers in the NFL. 
Uh, and if, if Harrison has two more years, you've got to start saying he's one of the best of all time, um, along with the kicker for Baltimore, Justin Tucker. So that's going to be an interesting one. But, but Isaiah Pacheco turns on the rest of the team. His determination, his kneecaps banging into the jaws and the foreheads and the, and the chest <laughs> – uh, of of the defensive backs and linebackers that are trying to to bring him down, you know he runs a four point three seven forty, and at five ten two twenty five he doesn't look that heavy. That's that's a load when you can run that fast, and so that's why he's a surprise because he's coming in with that ballistic speed, and then he's heavier than you expect. So he breaks more tackles than anybody expects. He keeps. The yards after the initial impact, he's very good at that. And if he can be that uh, solid reference for us, that factor that they have to respect, it creates all the space we need to then hit the guy that has given himself permission to become a veteran and to break off his patterns in Rasheed Rice. We love him. Now suddenly Travis Kelsey has two other threats, and look what he did. Two touchdowns and Travis Kelsey, ladies and gentlemen, is back. All right. Score prediction and Nick, what drink are you making? I know I know El Bandito Yankee tequila is gonna be in the mix somewhere, but what are you mixing it with? You know, I'm just gonna stick with in, in the cold weather, I just I'm sorry guys, I'm boring here. I love hot chocolate. I mix it with the hot chocolate because, you know, you're sitting in the stands. And our fans proved their toughness and their character and their loyalty in that minus 23 degree game the week before. Uh, that's just my highlight. The, the, obviously, we love margaritas, and the Blanco works really well there. And by the way, March 1st, our Anejo is coming out, uh, and they're all, every one of them is absolutely first class. It's a $100 tequila for 45 40 to 40 bucks. And you can you can enjoy it as you watch this team perform yet another miracle because they have character. They're a great team, and they're playing again another great team. I will I'll end with this thought: when those knucklehead Buffalo fans were throwing snowballs at Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones and everyone, when apparently I, I want to hear corroboration, but apparently they deliberately shut off our hot water. Right, because they were so mad that they lost. Under all of that is the supposition, is the assumption that just because on paper you think you're a better team that you deserve to win. Nobody deserves to win. The Dallas Cowboys keep having to learn that same lesson, and they'll continue to lose in the playoffs until they realize there's only one thing that matters. You have to earn it, E-A-R-N, on the field. I've said this before. I'll say it again. And that's why this team that has been matured through playoffs year after year knows it has big play, but it also has a great coach and has great camaraderie. It's been through more adversity this year than ever knows it has to do one thing, earn it on every single play. Uh, if there was a wall in front of me that was not made of glass, I would be running through it right now after that speech by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. We will take a break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. To Sports Radio 810 WHB. Uh, we'll be joined by Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football, at the top of the hour at 8 o'clock. 
But some Chiefs news. Prince Tegawanogo has been um, put on the uh, 21-day window for him to return. Chiefs officially designated at Prince Tegawanogo to return to practice. So, again, that means he has three weeks, 21 days. Um, Sky Moore's entering his second week, right, of potentially being activated if the Chiefs so choose to do uh, do that. But when it comes to Prince Tegawanogo, you're looking at a player who was placed on the IR with a quad injury back in late September. But with a plethora of injuries... To the tackle position, this is a decent, at least decent of note. Um, I like this for Kansas City with Wanye Morris's uncertainty, right? As much as I want to see Wanye Morris back, and I sure hope he is with the concussion, he's got to clear that still. He, he's got to get back and ready and healthy. The Chiefs now have a backup, backup plan in Prince Teguanogo. And, of course, as we were mentioning in the first uh, segment here, depth at this part of the season is so important. So, again, while we probably don't want to or hope to see Prince Teguanogo play, fact of the matter is having a guy who has at least played some NFL action for Kansas City, barring um, something drastic, not bad to have, at least in your back pocket. So something there. And the Chiefs also signed Anthony Miller to a futures deal. Uh, Anthony Miller was a former Chicago Bears wide receiver. Um, he has now been confirmed that his inclusion of the team's 2024 offseason roster. Um He'd actually been the Chiefs for a few weeks late in the year during the end of the regular season. But uh, this time, uh, they've signed him to a uh, futures deal. So, little minor Chiefs news. But again, got to keep you all informed. <laughs> We're not seeing Anthony Miller this year. I don't think Most so. Most likely, no. we won't see Prince Teguanoga. But again, something of note. All right. Something of note that I think is very important is, again, the sixth straight AFC Championship games that the Chiefs have been a part of. Again, we are starting to get into unprecedented territories. We're starting to get into historic talk now. Now, again, the Chiefs have only won two Super Bowls. They need this third one to really make this a dynasty in a lot of people's eyes. But this continued success of six straight AFC Championship games, to me, is something I never would have dreamed of when I was younger. Again, when you grow up during the Brady uh, Quinn, Brody Croyle, Tyler Thigpen days, when Matt Castle seemed like a massive upgrade, when you had Rich Gannon and then lost him, when Elvis Gerbach was here, not against those guys, but you're like, you never thought that. You never thought the Chiefs were making six straight? Not even in 2017. Let alone one straight! Yeah. <laughs> It's a different era of Chiefs football, and here is Mahomes talking about the six straight AFC Championship games. Yeah, I mean, you do after the season. Um, you're so motivated and focused on week in, week out, day in, day out, uh, trying to find a way to get to the Super Bowl and obviously try to win it. Um, but uh, I do have an appreciation for where I ended up, um, the players that I have around me, the coaches that I have around me, um, and the organization that, that that I'm in and that we're lucky enough to be in this position. Um, but uh, that's stuff that you want to look at when you're done playing. Uh, so right now I'm just focused on today. 
I will also point out the Chiefs have done it in multiple ways. They've done it with Mahomes on a rookie contract. They've done it with him on a second contract with no Tyree kill. And now they've gotten to the AFC Championship game based on a defense-first type of team. If you are the rest of the NFL, you have to be terrified that this team, they're like a chameleon. They change. It does not matter, but whatever the landscape is, they will find a way to get here. Again, obviously a testament to Mahomes, but I think a testament to Andy Reid, Brett Veach, and every single player that has come through Arrowhead as well. Let's take a break. Come back. We'll be joined by Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football. Ready for this. School really has been out a lot for people. I know all my friends who have kids are sitting here like, maybe about four today, but it was like three days in the entire month of January they've gone to school. I got a little brother. I've, I've dealt with the same thing. He's always home. Yeah, I'm sure you're having a great time with that, aren't you? <laughs> Welcome again to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football. Harms, how are you? You know, I'm doing all right, and my daughter did go to school today, so that's a win. And, you know, it was like four days from December 18th that she was in school. So <laughs> it was a, it was a rough about month of just trying to get her entertained and then on the school days off find different things for her to do is to still count as available technically for that day of school. So it's been a it's been a challenging few weeks where she's been at home, but you know, I'm doing good. Uh, I will say she does enjoy coming on our podcast together. Uh, you and I Love were do, doing some podcasts with Bleacher Report, and uh, she loves to try and sneak her way on. She She's very sneaky. <laughs> when Harms is talking, she'll hide behind his chair, and then all of a sudden just peek out around. It makes me laugh every single time. Every time. She knows exactly, too, because she'll only come over there when I'm talking. If I'm not talking, she'll just stay where she's at or she'll find something else to do. But as soon as I start talking, she knows that I can't, like, get her out of from behind of, of my chair. So she's, she's very sneaky and good at, at finding those spots where she's like, you can't get me here, you can't get me there. Uh, all right, let's start talking about the Chiefs and the Ravens, obviously. This is an entirely different type of game for Kansas City um, against the Bills, against the Dolphins. The Chiefs had a lot of advantages at a lot of different spots. You look at this Ravens team, and they are top five in almost any category you look at. They're such a well-rounded team. Obviously, the difference is, well... One team has Patrick Mahomes, the other one does not. I know it's not that simple, but what are you looking at in particular in this upcoming matchup? Man, I mean, looking specifically at their injury report, I'm expecting Marley Humphrey and Mark Andrews to play in this game, which will give them another, you know, heads up on the advantage, assuming that is that Joe Tooney does not play. I'm leaning more towards him giving it a go. But we'll, we'll kind of see as the week unfolds. He was not at practice today, but it's Wednesday. I, would, I expected that, to be honest with you. So we'll kind of see how that goes. To me, this comes down to 
Uh, just looking at this game, I think the Chiefs' defense will keep them in this game. They kept them in this game against the game against Buffalo in large part because the Chiefs' offense was executing. And I think that being away, being outside of Arrowhead, forces them to be a little bit more locked in. I'm not saying that you know they're less locked in at Arrowhead and at home games with, with that crowd, but it, it does it does feel like you have to be a little bit more on the plan with the snap counts, with the different things you have to remember with all the crowd noise and things like that. So it, it felt to me in Buffalo they were just a little bit more on that execution side where we saw two penalties all game and the, the one, you know, one turnover from Cole Harvin, which, you know, Travis Kelsey today took, or at least on his podcast, took full responsibility for, which was the, the leadership thing that you love to see from him. So I want to really get into what the Chiefs offense is going to be able to do against this defense because I do think that the key to winning is obviously scoring more points than the Baltimore Ravens for you guys. Continue to follow me on Twitter for my best information inside scoring more points than the opponent wins you football games. Uh, but, you know, Patrick Mahomes, the offense, has confidence right now. They're running the ball well. They are They're executing. They're not committing a ton of penalties. And when you do that, I do think it gives them a mental advantage because we know how Patrick plays in the postseason. We have a lot of evidence to the fact, you know, six straight AFC championship games, he and Travis really elevated their games. I think he's looking a little bit healthier, but also realizing it's the end of the season. I, I got to put everything I got into these last couple of games, and he's done that, and it will create a bit of attention on him and the Ravens play predominantly zone. It's it, they play a lot of zone, like most teams in the NFL. Uh, I think they might mix it up a little bit, give the Chiefs more man coverage looks, and that's where we're going to have to see some of the adjustments made from Andy Reid and the Chiefs' part. Uh, McCole Hardman, I, I know that people are really ready to just kind of throw him out the dry, and I, I think he's going to be kind of an important player in this football game against the Ravens. He has a good history against the Ravens. And again, if it is man coverage, if he can get loose downfield, there's going to be opportunities. And this game is going to be, it's not going to be a huge cold weather game. So I think that there's a, an opportunity for them to be able to throw the ball down the field. So like I said, the main thing I'm looking at is this offense going in to Baltimore and continuing to execute and not put themselves behind the eight ball. How do you think they attack then? I get what you're saying with McCole Harmon, and maybe he plays a bigger yeah. role, especially if they go man coverage. Uh, again, I, I've talked about how this is a completely different style than it was against the Dolphins or the Bills. You know, against the Bills with the banged-up linebacker court, you saw yeah. a uh, just a ton of 12 and 13 personnel. I would have to imagine you probably won't see that against the Ravens, but maybe I'm wrong and you still see a, a decent dosage of Noah Gray alongside Travis Kelsey out there. What do you expect the Chiefs to try and do to attack the Ravens, whether they're in zone or man? The Ravens are obviously very deep at all three levels. They have a lot of dudes they can throw at you. You know, I talked about it before the Chiefs even knew they were playing the Ravens, how if you play a team like the Ravens or the Niners, while 
against the Bills and the Dolphins, you can just go with your Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey with Isaiah Pacheco on the ground. But against a team that's that good in the secondary, also with a pass rush, you have to have a tertiary option. As you're mentioning, either the McCall Hardman, MVS, a Justin Watson, maybe it is a healthy Kadarius Tony, but someone has to get open and have to, and they have to win quick. Um, it sounds like you're kind of leaning towards McCall Hardman, which again, kind of going to what I'm saying as well, how you can't just count on Kelsey and Rice. That tertiary receiver really needs to step up and make an impact in this one. Yeah, and I think that misdirection is going to play a huge part in this. Large part because the middle of their defense is, in my opinion, it's the best part about their defense. Up the middle, safety, linebacker, the, the outside, they play good. They play, excuse me, wow, that was terrible grammar. They play well, um, and they're well coached. That's great for the Baltimore Ravens defense, but I do think the strength of them is at their linebacker spot in their, in the safety. Marlon Humphrey coming back will add to that middle of the field because he is that slot receiver, is that slot cornerback. But I, I think that misdirection in the run game and in the, the passing game with those end-around motions, those jet sweep motions, if you can get some success on the ground early, what that does is we, we've seen over the past couple of weeks is that Chiefs can get their play-action game going, and their play-action game has been extremely successful in large part for their offense this season because it has to be. It, they have to create a little bit more space with teams playing those two highs and those those cover four coverages, and they squeeze those deep routes that makes space for their offense go away quite a bit. And obviously we saw what happens if you have drops and penalties added on to that. It magnifies all the other issues. So getting some more power run game going like they did, they actually had 16 gap power runs to 16 zone runs against the Baltimore, against the. Buffalo Bills, so they were 50-50 in the run game. Continuing that with Pacheco will help them keep them on schedule. I don't expect to see them with the eight 20-plus yard plays against the Ravens. That's just not what I expect. But with the ground game, I expect Isaiah Pacheco to be healthy. He said as much today. Um, everyone kind of expects him to play. If you can get five, six yards, a chunk like he has been, even against good defenses, well-coached defenses, it keeps them on schedule. And, it, again, those play actions, all those misdirections, you can get the linebackers moving one way and hit them the other way. I think that's going to be really, really important for this offense because, like you're talking about, the receivers outside of McCall, outside of Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey need space to be their best. And we had an exception against the – Bills, where MBS brought in a very good deep ball down the right-hand sideline where he was in good coverage. You know, the corner was in good coverage, but he made a better catch. And then the big play on the other side was open space, but it was against man coverage as well. So creating space, it, what it comes down to for me, how they attack is going to be continuing with gap and power scheme to get Isaiah Pacheco into space and moving the linebackers with Mahomes' eyes with that misdirection, I think is the key to opening up space for even Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice. But I'm kind of with you. I'm leaning to maybe less 13 personnel because the Ravens defense will match that very well with their base and have zero real issues with it. But I still think 12 is like their most efficient and possibly best for their best personnel package, especially for the run game. So you'll probably see still a good amount of that. uh, But 11 personnel might be it. And, like you said, McColl, NBS, is this going to be a Justin Watson game? 
I'm starting to lean that way myself. So mm. that's kind of what my game plan is right now. We are joined right now by Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football. I know folks are probably wondering why we're not talking more about Kelsey or Rice and we're focused so heavily on maybe a lesser-named guy. The reason being is when you play a team like this that is so deep, they will try and they have the dogs and the horses to take away those uh, top-end players while the Bills and the Dolphins, quite frankly, did not. And how many times have we seen in big-time moments guys like Sammy Watkins, who was the third option on the Chiefs, right? It was Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, but it was Sammy Watkins. How last year in games we saw Marcus Kemp as well as MVS step up big. And oh yeah, you know, Damian Williams, right? Like So we have seen in the past these lesser-named guys make big-time plays, and that's typically what happens in these big-time moments because, again, best going against best, who are some of the depth pieces that can step up? Up, I do want to talk about Lamar Jackson. Before I I talk about, I think, a way the Chiefs can get to him as well as rattle him, Lamar Jackson has been great all season long. I would love to get your thoughts on what is most likely going to be uh, a two-time MVP winner as well as a guy who is, quite frankly, playing his best football over the past couple of weeks as well. Yeah, Lamar Jackson has really stepped up in just his overall quarterback play. You know, Patrick was talking about it today in his press conference, like he's become a better runner. And the, the big difference for me from the last couple of seasons to this year is that he and Todd Munkin have really formed a great bond. When, when he's breaking the pocket, he's not immediately looking to run the ball. He's keeping his eyes downfield more. And that makes him even more of a dynamic rusher and passer and more of a dangerous threat because he is now more willing to take those shots down the field. And honestly, the receivers have given him a good reason to be that confident. I mean, Isaiah likely at times this year, I remember against the Jacksonville Jaguars, we had, there's a play where Lamar is rolling out to his right and Isaiah likely is just down the left-hand side. Like I'm wide open, throw me the ball and he just chucks it up to him and he goes and makes a play. So you have, all of these things, Mark Andrews is going to be back too. And like I said, my biggest compliment to Lamar is that he's really focused on his craft this year and understanding when to take off, when to break the pocket, but to keep his eyes downfield. And then accuracy from the pocket to all levels of the field and all sides of the field has really taken a dramatic step up this year. Outside the numbers, he's been much better. He's, he's seeing the field a lot better. He's reading those defenses a bit better than he has in the past. I still think that Lamar Jackson might struggle a little bit with some of the looks and the, the schemes that Spax is going to give him. He's going to have a great week to you know game plan and prepare. At the end of the day, we saw, honestly, we, we saw Spags force Josh Allen to become a throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage or get the ball out quickly to his, to his playmakers. And, and Josh was like in the fourth quarter battling that instinct. And he was like, no, I'm going to start throwing it town field. And that's what happened. And unfortunately, you know, for Bill's fans and for them, it didn't work out. Those plays did not come down. You guys have drops there here and there. So I think what Spags does so well, and I know this isn't really talking about what Lamar is good at, but is that he forces your, the quarterbacks to have to play a way they don't want to play. And I think right now that's going to be difficult for Spags in the defense with Lamar because he's so comfortable in this offense with all of their weapons. Dave Flowers is a problem. He is going to be a guy that they can go to 
win the short game and can create explosive plays. But also, if you want to force him to throw the ball down the field, you know, I think Rashad Bateman has been getting better all season. We know Odo Beckham Jr. can make plays down the field. And Isaiah Likely is an underrated downfield threat at tight end. So they have all these different guys. And also Nelson Aguilar, who's been really a deep threat for his entire career. And all of that being said, is he can still run the ball as well, if not better at times, than Josh Allen. So he's a fantastic quarterback, and this is a true challenge for Spags and his game plan. So one or one area that I think the Chiefs actually have a pretty large advantage at, and again, it's going to come down to can the Chiefs force the Ravens to throw. Um, you know, the Ravens throw the 30-second most in the entire NFL. That's not their game. But... Lamar Jackson gets sacked and gets sacked a lot. For a guy as athletic, as slithery as he is, his sack rate is 24th in the NFL. On the other side of the thing, on the other side of the coin, the Chiefs rank number one in getting after the quarterback and bringing the quarterback down. That's how good they are in their sack percentage. So I'm sitting here going, if the Chiefs can get the Ravens behind the sticks, they can't get a second and five. You cannot allow Gus Edwards to get five yards on first down while they continuously are ahead of the sticks. If all of a sudden it's a second and 16, all of a sudden it's a second and 13, I like the Chiefs' chances. What do you see in regards to the Chiefs either A, sending pressure, and B, just in general, getting after Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I think we're going to see a little bit of a, of a switch from the last game plan. We didn't see Spags really send a lot of pressure at Josh Allen. It was more of, again, forcing him to be uncomfortable and be a different quarterback than he's, he's used to and get, getting the ball down the field in, or in the short area than it was downfield. And I think that the one area like that you might be able to get after with Lamar Jackson, to your point, is finding a way to get that free rusher. Get the free rusher, drop a play, or drop a defensive lineman into his his seeing field, into where he's looking, and get a free rusher on the opposite side. Change the picture at the last second, like Spags likes to do, and you might be able to get him to clutch that football. But because again, like you were talking about, he does have a tendency to hold on to the football. And even though he has gotten much better at, at, again, keeping his eyes down the field, if you can get that free rusher, you can move him off of his spot. You also might get an errant pass every now and then where the ball kind of hangs up in the air. That's, I think, where I'm looking for right now is that Spags gets some of those slot blitzes or he sends Justin Reed and he rotates behind with some of the injuries at, at uh, safety. Maybe we don't see Justin Reed or the safeties blitzing. I'm not sure how he's going to do that. But as of right now, we know Trent McDuffie is a fantastic blitzer. We know the, the linebackers can blitz, and that's something that we might see a little bit more of too. But dropping some defensive ends into throwing lanes and trying to get him to clutch that football and hold it for a second longer can really help get the pass rush going. So I think we'll see more blitzing this week against the Ravens. And also we know that these receivers outside of Zay Flowers, they're not the, the most dynamic route runners. I think they're better – play through contact players and downfield weapons than 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 Zay Flowers is. So if you can find a way to maybe get after Zay in the slot, wherever he is, physical him up a little bit and throw off the timing, you have a much better chance of getting to Lamar. Now, then the, the problem would then be 
can they tackle him? I mean, that's yeah. what I'm, I'm very interested to see. Uh, Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football, is our guest right here on the Home Stretch Sports Radio 810WHB. In regards to the line right now, obviously the Chiefs are the underdogs. They are mm-hmm. three and a half point dogs on the road. But they were, what, three-point dogs on the road to the Bills last week, and it felt like they relished that role. Again, Vegas is not in the business of losing money, right? So they don't have some vendetta out against Kansas City. Same time, though, I do think the Chiefs are in a different feel. They're not used to being the underdogs, whether it's on the road or at home, right? This is a little bit of a difference for them. But again, as you saw at the end of the game against the Ravens, they loved it. They were getting throw balls snowed at, or snowballs thrown at them. <laughs> they, they, they were living it up. They were enjoying it. You know, Mahomes with the whole good luck kind of as, uh, as a little dig towards Deion Dawkins. I, I was laughing saying, what did the Bills think was going to happen? A storybook ending? DeMar Hamlin was going to take that fake punt and get a first down? They scored a touchdown from the 13-yard line, and that was going to be all of a sudden the, oh, 13's back to being our number. I'm sitting here going, the only issue is, that only happens in storybooks. The villains won. In real life, the villain, a lot of time, they might get away with it. And quite frankly, the Chiefs went on the road, and they got away with it. And again, they're going to be the underdog. They are the villain yet again on the road against the Ravens. How do you think they handle this role in back-to-back weeks? I think that they embrace it, honestly. I think that they've finally gotten to the point where teams, everyone is kind of rooting against them. And we even heard Lamar Jackson t- today in his press conference when asked if how he feels about you know facing Patrick Mahomes. Like, I don't like it. I don't, want, I don't like facing Patrick Mahomes. People don't want to because of his success. And, and I get that. Um, a lot of people will raise their, their game. I think Josh Allen raises his game every single time that he plays Patrick Mahomes. I, I really do. And the difference is that Patrick has, has won those games. And you, ha- you have him and Joe Burrow, I think, has done a fantastic job of doing the same in some of those games. But those, at the end of the day, the Chiefs now, they've won, they, they won the first one, right? 2019, they, they win the Super Bowl, and then they go back, they lose. People are like, oh, okay, well, they still haven't really gotten to that point, right? Now... Last season, they won their second one. We're at three Super Bowls out of four years. People are tired. They don't want to – really, most of the fans and other, the other teams in the conference are kind of tired of it. And when you as a team relish going into an opponent's territory, being those villains, and coming out with the win and really just continuing to embrace – the fallout after, you know, Travis was talking about on his podcast how every, there was zero um, warm welcome and anything like that for, for the Chiefs there. People don't, a lot of fans don't want them anymore. We don't want them at the top. So you're always going to have these teams coming up and trying to knock down the Chiefs. And at this point, honestly, the, the big talk for this entire year was that if you're going to beat the Chiefs, this is the year to do it. This is the weakest that anyone had ever seen them. And honestly, I think that the villain aspect has played right into that. This is the best defense that they've ever had. The offense was sputtering, but the last two weeks we're starting to see a lot more efficiency, a lot more execution and understanding of what they can do. And when you have a quarterback like Patrick, who we've seen, Petty Patrick, we've seen Reaper Patrick, we've seen now villain Patrick. 
I think this is the apex of what we're going to see going forward, and everybody now else has to embrace that, regardless of how long you've been in Kansas City. The Chiefs are the villains, so if you're a rookie, it's time to step up and embrace that role as well. We also got to see Rasheed Rice as soon as the game ended. He turned to the Bills fans and went at them. <laughs> and went at them. Like, this team, these players, they want to and are ready to embrace being the villains. And when you do that, you do put yourself in any of these away games that you play in. It's wild how the Chiefs have gone from – the lovable bunch that you're like, finally, it's no longer the Patriots. We finally have something new. It's it's fun. It's unique. And now all of a sudden, they've watched themselves morph into what the Patriots were. And you know, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are just sitting there like, yes, you are now one of us. You understand what it's like to be the villain. And isn't it fun? Um, when it comes to the Chiefs' offensive line, back-to-back years now with back-to-back different tackles, seems like they step up their play come playoff time. Obviously, last year, Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley did not have the best regular season and then were named in the playoffs. Well, we're seeing a similar thing happen with Jawan Taylor as well as uh, Donovan Smith, right? They were both not great. Both got banged up at some point. Obviously, Donovan Smith a little bit worse. But then they come back and both are playing their best football all season long. What is it with either Andy Heck or this Chiefs team? Or what do they do that all of a sudden they can make guys who maybe aren't the best turn into very valuable pieces, especially come playoff time? You know, if I had the answer to that, I think a lot of other coaches in the NFL would have the answer to that and be able to get the, get the most out of their players in times <laughs> like this. Uh, but I really, I don't, I don't really know what it is. I, I maybe it's just the simple fact that they also, again, understand the moment. And the Chiefs this season, they they all kind of, they often knew that if they were going to continue to do what they had been for ninety percent of the season, that wasn't going to be enough to get to where they wanted to get to. Um, so all I can say is that. For most of the season, Juwan Taylor, outside of the penalties, has played very good football. He's been a good right tackle. Um, and then the penalties have been really t- – the biggest the biggest part, honestly, is both of them. They've both been penalized at a, he- a heavy rate this season. And Donovan Smith, then he got hurt. <clears throat> got hurt. Everyone just kind of assumed that Wanya Morris was going to be the, the left tackle going forward. He gets hurt. Donovan Smith comes back in in a cold-weather game off of injury and plays – probably his best game of football all season. So confidence is what I'll, I'll, I'll get back to. I think the confidence that this team, this offense specifically is playing with, is at an all-time high. And I take this back to the Cincinnati Bengals game. And even though they struggled to score touchdowns in that game in Week 17, we saw a little bit of what the Chiefs want to do. It's the same formula they had last season getting into the postseason is efficiency in the run game. Finally, firing off the ball, moving people, and getting Isaiah Pacheco into space. When your offensive line can consistently do that, and we, I've listened to a lot of offensive linemen that are now out, Mitchell Schwartz being one of them, is it helps get you in a rhythm as an offensive lineman. It gets the blood pumping. It allows you to feel like you are putting and physically imposing yourself on the defense. The one question I had from the Miami game to the Buffalo Bills game was, can the offensive line 
keep playing like that against a much better and much healthier defensive line against the Bills in the Bills? And the answer was yes. They did not. They did not flinch. They did not blink. They physically imposed their will against the Bills. And that is another area where they can continue against Baltimore. They're not going to have the same huge 20-plus yard runs, I don't think. But you never know. It is the postseason. Anything can happen. But I think the confidence that the offensive line is playing with, well, I mean, like I said earlier, we'll see about Joe Tooney. I'm very confident in Nick Allegretti as a left guard. He's got starting experience, and I think that he played very well in Joe Tooney's stead against the Bills. But – as a collective unit, they're playing their best football right now, and they are running the ball extremely well. I think that just continues to build their confidence, to get them comfortable, and continue to just be physical. And that's something that we haven't seen a ton out of the Chiefs' offensive line until the past couple of seasons. They've really been labeled more of a finesse unit, but when they run these power, these gap plays, we see them be physical, get open space for Isaiah Pacheco, I think that they love that, honestly. Yeah. Uh, from finesse to physicality, uh, that's kind of what the Chiefs' motto has been on the offensive line over the past couple of seasons. Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football, our guest. Before I let you go, a couple of storylines in the AFC West I want to touch on with you, get your thoughts. Uh, obviously, Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan to coach the Chargers now. One, how big of a get is this for the Chargers? Uh, will this make them the offseason yet again champions? And where do they go? from here team-wise. We talked about their cap situation and how it's not ideal. And is Jim H. the right man for the job? All right. So I think that we've, we've already seen his success. He's, he's been a successful college coach. He, he's literally been successful anywhere he's gone. He couldn't really get the monkey off his back um, until this season. He finally won the national championship with Michigan. Um, and then he's got nowhere else to go. Like He was like, all right, I finally won it. Now I'm going to the NFL. i got to win a Super Bowl now. So I think that he is the guy to help change the culture, at least. And when you have a culture in the Chargers, who, like, we kind of talk about this every year, where they seemingly are preseason favorites to win the AFC West or compete with the Chiefs for the AFC, and then the injuries set in, and I think there's always a mentality aspect that Jim Harbaugh brings to his, his teams. They're physical. They run the ball. They are relentless. They, they're just consistently getting after teams on the offensive side and the defensive side. I think he's going to bring that type of physic, that physical nature. Um, you kind of look around the, the AFC West. The, him and Antonio Pierce, I think, are going to be a fun case study for those two teams, respectively, because they're going to want to play a lot of the same styles and play tough defense, run the ball, and, and have that kind of mentality on their teams. So I don't know what he's going to do about the catch situation. There is a lot that they have to do. But I think that he is going to, first and foremost, try to get younger, get this team younger, draft players that he understands what, that, that understand what he's building and what he wants to build and have that same type of mentality. We're going to find out if he can actually be successful there with Justin Herbert. I tend to think that with a, you know, a solid running game like they've had, uh, the offensive line, they, they've got to continue to get the interior kind of healthy, and as soon as they do that, they'll be just fine. But I, I do think that Jim Harbaugh is the right guy for the job, specifically because he can help change the culture, get those players to buy in on what he's selling. 
He's always done that everywhere he goes. So I like the hire for the Chargers. Uh, we'll see if he can fix the injury bug that just pops up every <laughs> single year. Yeah, I think it's the right guy for the job. I think it was the perfect hire for the Chargers. My, my one concern is if you are a Chargers fan or, or, or uh, if you're Jim H., if you're sitting here going, give me some time. Because it's going to feel like if they don't make the playoffs year one, yeah. they're going to sit here and be like, oh, well, man, that that's a bummer. We we got the the right guy, didn't we? And, and there's going to be so much pressure on Harbaugh's shoulders. Um, I wonder how he handles that. Again, not saying they can't make the playoffs, but it feels like a tall task after going five and twelve. Great head coach, but I wonder how high expectations and pressure will be for him. Uh, final talk in the AFC West. Mark Davis says new GM Tom Telesco right fit for the Raiders. Obviously, Tom Telesco was the former Chargers GM. He was there since 2013. Known for building the offseason Super Bowl champion rosters, uh, has yet to actually translate to legitimate wins on the football field, yet he is going from the Chargers to the Raiders. This was a shock to me. What did you make of this? I mean, it was a shock to me, too. Typically, we don't see the GM recycling just continue to happen that quickly, especially in division where you get to see what he did. The the the, the cap. Just look at the Chargers cap space. Look at it. That could be the Raiders in a few years. Like I, I don't. I, I'm not entirely sure if the thought process is here outside of maybe they just want someone that can nail first round draft picks because they drafted you know, Alex Leatherwood and a running back in the first round, uh, Cleveland Farrell, a few years ago. And this past year, Terry Wilson, who you know has had some flashes, but hasn't really shown that he's going to be that guy they drafted. Uh, maybe they're just trying to find a guy who can nail first-round draft picks because for everything Telesco has done in in L.A., he's done a very good job with their first-round picks. You know, yeah. outside of a few players here and there. So maybe that's just the goal here is to try to find a way to construct a roster for Antonio Pierce because maybe they really believe in the, I guess, workman's mentality that, and, and the player's coach that is Antonio Pierce to get the most out of those day three guys or those day two guys and just hope rely on Telesco's ability to draft in the first round. And maybe that's the uh, combination that they're going with here. We'll find out, obviously. It's going to be fun to see what happens with a retread in division who honestly failed in, in, in L.A. So, I'm interested. I'm very, very interested. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I mean, you look back, I think your first round um, <laughs> draft holds true. Going back to 21, Alex Leatherwood, as you mentioned. 2020, Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett. Uh, 2019, Cleland Farrell. 2019, Josh Jacobs, as well as Jonathan Abram. 2018, Colton Miller. That's a pretty good pick right there. Uh, 2017. Garyon Conley, remember him? Yeah, Garyon Conley. Uh, Carl Joseph in 2016. They did get Amari Cooper in 2015 and, and uh, Khalil Mack in 2014. But I mean, it is bleak. I mean, Darius Haywood Bay. Yeah, he won that one. Uh, yeah, there we go. Darren McFadden, Jamarcus Russell, uh, Michael Huff, Fabian Washington. Um, they did get Namdi Asimov back in 2003, so, you know, they got that going for him. 
I yeah. remember Nandi. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what about uh, Sebastian Janikowski? Not looking so bad now. There now you, you see why they drafted a kicker in the first round because they at least knew they'd get something out of him. Uh, but I do think you're right, man. They need anything. They're hoping that Antonio Pierce can fix the culture while hopefully uh, Tom Telesco will, won't destroy the cap and can hopefully find some talent that has been an issue for the Raiders for a long time. Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at inharmsway19. Final question before you go. Who wins on Sunday? Chiefs or Ravens? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot on the Wednesday. All right. uh, yeah, um, that's what we're doing here, pal. I ask the tough questions. <laughs> Alright, well, it's a tough question. And as much as I love the Kansas City Chiefs, I do think the Ravens are going to win this football game. It's not the answer anyone wants to hear, uh, but I don't have a score prediction right now. I'm still getting my way through it, but I think the Ravens win. Uh, send all of your hate mail to inharmsway19. Yeah, <laughs> Daniel, always well, a pleasure. It hurts. It does hurt. I understand if you guys want to throw the hate mail at me, but uh, thank you very much for having me, Sterling. I, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, don't send harms too much harm. We will take a break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. This is a perfect song to come back to because baseball, no, I did not forget about you. Some new Hall of Fame members. Three players have been selected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You want to take a guess who they were? Do you have any idea who was on the ballot? Do you know? I follow up pretty closely, so maybe you don't. I could not tell you the whole ballot, but I, I can give you my guesses. Okay, g- g- give me your guesses. Adrian Beltre. Yes, ding, ding. That was the obvious one. Manny Ramirez was on the ballot. He was on the ballot. He did not make it. He did not make it. No, no, no. Uh, Todd Helton. Ding, ding, ding. Todd Helton. He made it. Mm, Number three. It's going to drive me crazy. I should know who it is. It's a catcher. One of the best pure hitting catchers. Buster Posey? Pure hitting catchers. Transition to what? First base DH late in his career. Probably he retired maybe a little earlier than people thought. Left-handed. Jim, tell me. No, he's As a catcher. <laughs> he started as catcher, I think. Okay, Mike Sweeney. This is going to drive me nuts. Played for the Twins. Oh, Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer. Beltre, Helton, and Maurer inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, Beltre received 95.1% of the 385 riders who cast ballots. Maurer, 76.1%. Helton, 79.7%. Maurer was first year of eligibility, so that's why his number was lower. Dude, Baseball Hall of Fame. I love how strict it is to get in because it's not the Hall of Very Good. It's the Hall of Fame. Like base, I will, I will grant baseball that they're very good at how it's a smaller number compared to NBA and NFL. Right, like that. How are you seventy six your first year? But you know, if he was in year eight, it'd be like ninety eight percent. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense to me because if he's a Hall of Fame player. <laughs> How is he losing? Like some guys will lose some votes, you know, their first couple of years, and then then you put them in. You, and people who had uh, uh, Andrew Jones last year, and then all of a sudden he didn't go in this year on the exact same dude's ballots. What changed? He's been retired for years. 
His stats didn't change. You still have spots on your ballot to vote. Baseball Hall of Fame voters just, they, they get me sometimes, man. They make me so irrationally angry. And you're going to have to bear with me because I've talked so much, Chiefs. You can allow me eight minutes to talk, if that. It'll be seven minutes to talk uh, baseball, including the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, okay? So we're going to do it. Buckle in for a second. We'll talk a lot more Chiefs with Briscoe the entire final hour from 9 to 10. But I don't understand how the thought process can be, well, your first year on the ballot, you can't get in, but your fifth year, the stats don't change. Nothing's changed. They'll say, yeah, well, you know, Babe Ruth wasn't a consensus. Yeah, but no one was until Mariano Rivera was, which blows my mind even more. That was a closer. That goes against everything that the Baseball Hall of Fame has stood for for so long as far as closers. I I get so irrationally irritated with the old school philosophy, and this is coming from me who's very old school, especially in regards to a lot of how things are run in sports. But the Baseball Hall of Fame gets it right and wrong at the exact same time, and it blows my mind. I won't get into the steroid debate. I'm not going to do that with Barry Bonds and Manny Ramirez allegedly and all the alleged guys, right? That's fine. I know everyone has their own thought process, and I understand how some people will not vote them in. Okay? I'm not saying what my personal preference is, but I'm saying I understand why people wouldn't. Okay? I get it. But... When, again, a guy like Andrew Jones, who had the votes at one point, then all of a sudden a guy does not vote for him the same ballot next year, that makes zero sense to me. How Billy Wagner, who might be the best left-handed reliever reliever in Major League Baseball history, is going to fall just short. His second-to-last year, 73.8%, who I can almost guarantee gets in next year, right? His last year, there's going to be some people go, let's rally for Wagner. His stats didn't change. Same thing you've always known. It's what, him and John Franco as the best left-handed relievers in baseball history? Maybe I, I, I'm um, over overthinking some name, but I can't think of a better reliever than Billy Wagner and John Franco, historically. Gary Sheffield, as a heads-up, fell off 63.9% in his 10th and final year on the ballot. Um, Andrew Jones... Um, and Carlos Beltran, Andrew Jones, 61.6%, Carlos Beltran, 57.1%. Let me ask you, is Beltran a Hall of Famer in your mind? Obviously, there's some some Royals ties here. Uh, Do you think Carlos Beltran should make it into the Hall of Fame? I'm a little biased because I remember the day he was traded away. I was six years old. He was was my guy, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But I just think about the the postseason success he has, he's had, especially you know when he went to Houston. Yeah, I think he had like what six straight games with a home run. He is he's performed everywhere he's been, and he did it while rising, you know, to a to a ripe old age. And he was a switch hitter. He lost the speed, didn't matter. He still got on base. He could still hit. I think I know why he's not in. Yeah, it's along the lines of the of the steroid debate. It's. You know, the sanctity, the rules of the game, stuff like that. In my mind, he's he's one of the most special talents I can remember playing baseball. I, I, I will say he is fairly close. If you look at a lot of the analytical views of, of what he is, um, he's close. Like, like he, he is borderline in a lot of major metrics, like the um, Baseball Reference Hall of Fame monitor. 
shows that he'd be in. A likely Hall of Famer. The score is 100. He's a 126 on his batting as far as they use a thing called like the gray ink, where you're kind of on the borderline. Average Hall of Famer is 144. He's 76, so like that's not close. Uh, you look at his um, the Hall of Fame standards they have on here. Average Hall of Famer is 50. He's 52. Like he is literally just on the cusp. His career war is 70.1. The average Hall of Fame center fielder war is what? 71.6. Again, you're looking at a guy who's right on the cusp. A seven-year peak, right? How good is he as his peak? 44.4 war. The average center fielder in the Hall of Famer? 44.7. You are looking at a guy who is the definition of on the on the borderline of, a, of making it in or out. Like, I understand not having him in, and, and also at the same time, I, I completely understand if you do. The similarity scores for him. As far as players who he's close to, Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer, Billy Williams, Hall of Famer, Al Kaline, Hall of Famer, and then you get down to Luis Gonzalez and Gary Sheffield, right? Like, he is the definition for me of on the line. I could totally get swayed into seeing Carlos Beltran in, and also I could understand how maybe he's just on the outside, on the hall of very, very good. Rookie of the Year, nine-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glover, two-time Silver Slugger in 2017 World Series. Uh, Once again, players who receive less than 5%, uh, they fall off the ballot. Players that get 75% or more, they make it in. Um, again, only three players made it in this year. Beltre, Helton, and Joe Maurer. The three next closest was Billy Wagner, who was just short. Gary Sheffield, Andrew Jones, followed up by Carlos Beltran. And then a steep drop-off to Alex Rodriguez getting 34.8% of votes, which you would have to imagine the alleged steroids. I always say alleged, even if they came out and talked about it. I still say, I'm not trying to get sued on here, okay? So, sorry. Allegedly, Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez, 32.5. Interesting one, Chase Utley, 28.8. I thought Chase would get a lot higher of the vote. Um, Just because of his positional value of second base, right? I always thought that he was, um, in his playing days, seemed like a Hall of Famer. Uh, Omar Vizquel, 17.7. Bobby Abreu, 14.8. Jimmy Rollins, 14.8. And Andy Pettit, 13.5%. Any shocks to you there? Uh, the, I'm looking at the same list right now, Stu. Uh, Tory Hunter, I think he's way too low. That's just my personal he opinion. So he didn't even garner anything right there, yeah. 28 votes, 7.3%. Yeah. Uh, it seems low to me. But, you know, I've got no proof to back that up. As should be <laughs> Oh, great, yeah. That, that's how we love doing sports show. I, I got no proof, but... Uh... Being a Royals fan, I remember every time I saw him play the Royals, something bad happened to the Royals. Yeah, you look at his career. He, um, 353 home runs, 277 average, 50.7 war. Uh, he is in the Hall of Very Good. I mean, I love Torrey Hunter. One of the all-time best quotes of why he does not wear a cup. Um, probably won't say it on on radio, but uh, if you want a funny funny quote, Tory Hunter on why he does not wear a cup, absolutely hilarious. Five time All Star, two time Silver Slugger, nine time Gold Glove winner. Um, but he to me is 
in the hall of very, very good. He, he's not quite Carlos Beltran level. He's not Andrew Jones level to me. That's my personal opinion. But uh, I do think if you're a Royals fan, you're sitting here going, yeah, Torrey Hunter was at least a Hall of Famer against KC. Let's take a break. Come back. Home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back into the home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Some more audio I want to get to before we bring on Josh Briscoe. That is Isaiah Pacheco. Um, Pacheco talking about his running style. I'll say the funniest one that I thought was they said I run like I bite people. Like I ain't no zombie. Like that was crazy. Like so that was one of the funniest ones. You said I run like I bite the ground, bite the grass, and that's crazy. So it's a uh, it's a it's a, a, a great opinion I guess to have uh, on the way I run. Uh, for me, it's just um, being determined and understanding uh, that I have a goal to achieve and, and we want to get the job done. Are you angry when you're out there running? Uh, absolutely. Um, just through everything, you know, that's been in front of you, uh, understanding the week has been a long process of the week and, you know, just being prepared, understanding the scheme and willing to do whatever you got to do to get the job done is leaving it all out there in the field with no regrets. That's amazing. Are you angry when you when you run? I was fully expecting a, nah, man, you know, I'm just physical. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, in fairness, I'm glad he actually understands and sees that stuff, that it's a joke and not serious. But, like, he does run like he's trying to knock out your chiclets. Like, he runs like he sees a linebacker and he's going high knees. He's going to take out your uh, your teeth right there. No, yeah, he runs like he's the linebacker. Yeah, he... It's enjoyable to watch, man. Yeah, I and, loved his response to the, he runs like he bites people. Okay, I'm no, I'm no zombie. <laughs> I'm no zombie. I do want to point out, earlier on this season... I kept saying, yeah, it's fun how he runs, but a lot of time it feels like it's wasted movement, right? A lot of times it felt like he was doing a lot but not going anywhere. You don't see that anymore. As physical as he runs, as hard as he runs, as much as you see his legs going up and down, it seems like either his vision's got better, but he's also wasting less movement, right? This is something that I've noticed and and some people close to me have noticed. And I think that's why you've seen the yardage and the yards per carry all of a sudden take a sharp turn up. He's more decisive and he's not just pumping his legs like pistons because he was doing that and getting four yards, three and a half yards. That's great, but it always looked like more. Now you're actually starting to see the more. Isaiah Pacheco is really coming into his own. We'll take a break. Come back. Be joined by Josh Briscoe. Up next, home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Let's party with Briscoe, baby. 
party. Tactical turtleneck is what I was looking for. The tactile neck, some say. I do wish yours was a slightly darker black. Well, I got five in black and five in a slightly darker black. Stu's rocking a turtleneck today, and it's a really powerful look. The suit jacket only adds to it. Stu, the fashion today is immaculate. It's strong. Uh, Jameis Winston would probably say, are you strong? I said, we strong. I looked around, are we strong? And then I said, I guess we strong then. Listen. No, no one remembers that from Jameis Winston, the all-time quote. I did not remember that because, as is often the case with so many of the great poets of our time, I have so many favorite favorite Jameis Winston quotes and moments that, you know, my it's like having different different favorite Beatles songs, you know? You're like, oh man, remember remember when Jameis Winston said, get back, you know, get back to where you once belonged? Like, oh yeah, I guess that's, that ring sort of rings a bell. I, I really am more of a... Uh, <laughs> more of a uh, a golden submarine fan. Like, you know, the Saints kind of golden more than yellow. Let me see if I can find the actual. That's really good, by the way. I, I want to find that good. I want to find the actual quote. Get then. back into the end zone, even though he called a knee. Um, oh, of course, if I find it on Reddit, and then it just 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 takes you to the very bottom of it, and you're like, "We got this, Jameis." And I said, "We said, are you are you strong?" They said, "I'm strong." If you strong, and I said, "We strong then." I don't even know which <laughs> NFC South team he was playing for. I think was at that, FSU. I think he was still in college. That was in college? Yeah, that, that was before the eating the dubs with his hands. Dude has been a poet for a long time. Yeah, Jameis Winston is sure a character. Like, he is he not, is. He, he just doesn't remind you like a real person. Like, you, like if you like no. a create a character or like a TV show guy, you're like, no, this guy is too absurd. And yet yeah. here he is somehow. Like, he has to be the best backup quarterback because he keeps that room very light. Seems like the vibes are great. Like, he, uh, Matt. <laughs> Until he gets, like, maybe Dennis Allen canned. Because well, listen. <laughs> until he turns the team on you. He said the team had his back. I mean, The you team know, had his so back. That's... So, No, I think I think you got to have... Your, your backup quarterback, I think, has to be a vibes captain, ideally. I mean, even Chad Henney was, like, you know, grizzled vet. But yeah. he still had good vibes. Blaine Gabbert vibes are obviously immaculate. The mustache alone. Um, yeah, I think you want to have a backup quarterback... Who's good enough to win you two games, not good enough to win you, you know, 10 or 11 games over the course of an entire sure. season, and is generally a, a good vibes captain. I, I feel like Jameis fits that mold. Yeah. I, I like this little chunky sweater you got going Thanks, on. Thanks, man. Yeah, it, is a little, it is a little chunky. Well, no, it's no, a good I like, chunk. I like a chunky good sweater. Chunk. I, need, I need a chunky sweater. It's, it's, it's not technically a cardigan, I guess. I thought it had buttons when I ordered it, and it doesn't. It's just open in the front, which is fine. Um, well, if a cop ever yells... At you to pull over, you can say, uh, thanks, but it's actually a cardigan. <laughs> look at these big pockets in it. Yeah, you look like a, a drama teacher. Yeah. Yeah, it's big you, drama teacher vibes. And the the thing about that that is, like, I will, when I get home, I will tell Renee that you said You're that I look a like... a turtleneck. How can you say that about a drama teacher? <laughs> that... Action! That's a good point. Sterling and I do look like we're about to we're about to pull off a hell of a stage play. You have never seen Grease. If I had a screen like a, a script written, I wouldn't bring it within a hundred feet of you two because it would just get destroyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You call this art? It really. We are definitely good cop, bad cop mm. on the on the community college theater yes, production. Yes. If so you think a corn cob pipe and for one of you. Probably. If you think I wasn't in the production in my seventh grade version of Greece, you're out of your mind. Because yes, I was. I am definitely giving uh, 
express yourself and enjoy the moment vibes, and you are giving whiplash vibes. Yeah, like you are one, much. two, three, four, and I'm I'm just like. You're high. I'm not, I'm not gonna if you if I see if I see a smoking back behind the building, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna narc about it. If we were drugs, we'd be very different ones. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Do you we look like we just got cast into the new inside out sequel that's about v- different types of drugs. Yeah. And I look like weed and you look like Adderall. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> I look like I would get banned from baseball for a long time and you look like you might be something that football players do in the offseason. You look like... I look like a drama... A high school drama teacher. Mm. You look like a drama... You look like a theater critic. Oh, yeah. And I've never said one thing nice. You look like... You are basically Anton Ego of the <laughs> theater. And I'm just trying to... I'm trying to, to let... I'm trying to help some 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 teens find their artistic side and express themselves on stage. And I compare everything to No Country for Old Men, and yes. if it does not yes. stand up to it, I say this is despicable. And I'm like trying I'm to... I'm the, the, the despicable me guy. No, no, no. Uh, you, not yeah, not that guy. Grew. No, 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 not that guy. Um, the Ratatouille guy. Like, I'm the Ratatouille Anton guy. Anton Ego. Oh, that's, I, that's, that's what you, the okay. Ratatouille guy. I'm Absolutely. sorry. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't watched that movie since I was a child. Well, whose fault is that? I don't know. Growing up, I don't. You look like you would look down your nose at people who still watch Ratatouille, and I look like <laughs> I watched Ratatouille last night with a big bowl of Golden Grams. I did it, but it's what I look like. Yeah, it's what you look like. What did I watch last night? Do you like the stash, though? By the way, there's a reason why I have it now, and it's in its thickness and its gloriousness. I let me say, I think that you have a gear you could go up in terms of thickness of the stash. Oh, it will. Okay. You, the reason why I say that, this started with the Chiefs. Okay. Because I, I shave it before the playoffs, and uh, then it, so I, I the day after they won uh-huh. was when I left it. Uh huh. So it's been what two weeks now, two and a half. Beat the Dolphins, you stop shaving, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. So that's been since the Dolphins game, but it, it, it's going to get thicker. I, I had it last year after they beat the Dolphins. I started shaving. <laughs> It's impressive for that gloriousness. I don't know what you have going on right now. My what? Your facial hair. Oh, no, it's my, a no, I didn't yeah, my yeah. face. Ah! Oh, horrible. Ah! Um, Dion Bush. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Might have to have an important game. <laughs> uh so yeah, see, yeah. I think I think the Ravens are going to wax them. Um, <laughs> what was your question? I don't believe that actually. It was just a fun little joke. The mustache is good. I like the mustache. Uh, so last year I did this. I, I had the playoff stash, and I waited yeah. until after they won, and it, it worked. So I'm doing it this year too. I think the playoff stash is a real thing. It um, it's my connection, my fandom. Yeah. You know, obviously we don't say we here, so this is right. th- this is my we. This is my. You put your we on your face. This is my Frenchness. This is French. We. You put your French we on your face. Wow, that's. This show's had a weird energy so far, huh? How you doing, Steve? You good? I could go for baguette. I like the mustache. I think if you if you do the thing, I can't remember if you've done this before, but it's kind of my go-to because I my my facial hair is on the lighter side, and mm. um and so I really need it. I I need to not let it do any um optical illusions with itself. Sure. So I will typically. Kind of a la Andy Reid. I'll, I'll I'll let I'll let the 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 hairs closest to the nose 
grow all the way down, you know, and kind of oh, cover yeah. the full kinda spread covered, and yeah. bulks it out more, darkens it up a little bit. And so that I think if you go you get to that territory, you are going to be like you might get to have the mustache that Vanquish, Vanquish has worn sharp. Yeah, I had that last year. Yeah, OK, I, thought, uh, I feel like you've done that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Great mustache. Bad tweets. Yeah, dude, that dude is. What a fall from grace! Wow, he was a he was a, a NFL Twitter darling there like five years ago. There were a couple of ones like Ben Baldwin with the with the. I like Ben Baldwin. That was a bad take. That, again, like why, why does everyone just hate Kate? I mean, I get I know why because the Chiefs keep winning even yeah. in down years. I get it. We, and Ben loves Mahomes, so like it's but not, that was just like, like uh, that one was weird. It's like the whistle has not blown yet. He's like, how is this not a late hit? I'm like, because the whistle hasn't blown yet, guy. And momentum is a real thing. What do you want Mike Pinnell, a 340 pound guy, to do? Bend the law of physics? Is Einstein and Newton gonna come back and try and come up with a new law? Again, I like Ben, but when I saw that tweet, I did think I watched it, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I see what happens here, and I was like, well, let me actually click it with the audio up and then the whistle blows after all of that action has happened already it's like oh yeah that's why it wasn't a flag the refs didn't blow the whistle did you make the point that somebody made the point that that previous like the last matchup against the bills yeah they scored a they touchdown scored doing yeah. that was that, that was you? dylan that was that dylan, was dylan? I, yeah that was dylan. shout out dylan i'm sorry i'm so surprised it was that I, it was that you went to like you went and cut a clip i did which i did not know was in your in your role as, as a twitter user i think i texted you the other day i figured out iMovie so it's a whole new Whole new thing. Oh wow! I I didn't. I think that was the first one that I had seen you cut like that, and so I was like, "Whoa, Dylan's Dylan's really really dipping the archives." That's going to make him so powerful, by the way. Oh yeah, because he knows where like every NFL thing is in terms of like you know the the NFL Network stories and, oh, and yeah. also like just the, the the film. You know, like VH1 Classic. Yeah. You know, like but that's like his genre, like of uh, 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 football. It's yep. like VH1 Classic, NBA Classic. Remember when they would always show like 1973 yeah, basketball games? But that's him. With yeah, that on NFL, almost yeah. entirely sports a lot. Oh, it's awesome, you know? dude! They need to bring that back. It, can, it did come back for a, for a did while. It, did yeah, I? they they aired it a lot in twenty twenty. Yeah, I know. Uh, I wonder why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think was when we watched. It. I was thinking like I did watch a lot of those just kind of on the screen. Yeah, I missed that. I just never stopped. I just kept going and watching <laughs> old football games. Good for you. I, I think like, this you know this is great. This off season might be the one for me to like really get into some of that NFL Network at like. Seven to ten, and then after the total access on mm. in the off season, puts on some bangers. That was me with NBA Classic. The amount of old school NBA games, like when I was like, Willis Reed's coming out. Willis Reed, yeah. come on, guys, he is coming out of that tunnel. I, I bet. I'm like, I bet Reggie Miller makes this. <laughs> and that that right there, that's why he gets to wear the turtleneck. It's why I'm in a chunky cardigan. Mm. I. Uh, I do think that there is a, this weird this I'm about to say a sentence that means Dylan is hosting the rest of this program until you take it back, dude. I just want you to know that. That's fine, yeah. I think there uh. is there is a there is an aesthetic and historical and purely entertainment based value to old NFL games that I don't know that other sports necessarily get to have. Ba- like I mean, mm. late 90s baseball is Probably more fun than current baseball in a lot of ways, but in terms of like just an old game on TV, dude, you you give me those old uniforms, some big chunky shoulder pads, and a and a, a bruising running back for th- three hours. I'm I'm in. It was so different. It, it, it's, yeah, it's because Mike Allstott. Mike Allstott was just running through dudes, and you could win games like that. Yes. Right. Also because, as bad as it sounds, you could lay dudes out, and we were all sitting there going. 
Yes, that's right. that's sweet. And now they're like, okay, maybe we, maybe we actually know more now. And and giving people concussions is bad. I said this on uh, Only Weird Games this week. I think I think I was telling Seth as we were talking about uh, Justin Reed, you know, blowing dudes up in the middle of the field and everything. I said, listen, you should still be able to go back and watch some like old jacked up videos on YouTube or whatever. But as you do that, you also have to have on your phone scrolling through Antonio Brown's Twitter timeline. <laughs> and so just so you have, you should have to carry the weight. Of what it, what the consequences yeah. of these actions. If you want to watch Vontez perfect highlight reels, oh. you also need to read Antonio Brown's Twitter timeline. I, if you're gonna if, buy, if, if you you're do, gonna buy from from Timu, you should know where your stuff is coming from. If you do look at Antonio Brown's Twitter account, you'll see some wild stuff. Yeah, he. Uh, I'm not going there. No. Yeah, I think that's. I think. Yeah, I think we'll drop it. Yeah, we'll drop it. You know, it's so, a great holiday spirit this year. For sure. Dylan, what did you think about old NFL games? <laughs> Do you enjoy watching those, Dylan? I think so. Let me ask you this. Here's, I think here's part of it for, for NFL over NBA. I'm sorry that this is how weird this show has already gotten. Yeah. Well, you're on it. So. I know. It's kind of to be expected, I suppose. It's Wednesday. This isn't Friday. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. we're fine. I think when I watch a lot of old NBA stuff, and I don't like watch, watch. But when old NBA games are on, Beards would like watch it during the show. Shout sure. out to Beards. I think most of most of just like the guys, and I don't mean the greats, but most of the guys on the court there do not pass the smell test for just modern basketball. You know what I mean? It was but a different game. It's a different game in a way in a way that to me doesn't feel as high level as yes. opposed to old timey NFL games, which I feel like those dudes could thump for for years and it would still be a punishing eight and eight style football team. You have guys sure. dribbling up here. Yeah. Well, if you're going back to Bob Cousy days, but, yes. but, but, like, but like again, if you're watching like the '80s or the '90s, I get what you're saying. But about, '90s, I'm good. '90s could be the cutoff from that conversation because sure, even like the '80s, just for example, like I get what people are saying. You know, if you go back to the '60s, and sure, I, I, I'm with you. Um, but like for both sports, to be honest, for for all sports, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I mean. Yeah. For all sports, I mean, in baseball, the dudes are throwing 85, and you're like, oh, wow, look, he's humming it in there. <laughs> and, <laughs> look at him sling the I mean, ball. Not, that's obviously not the 60s. Maybe even baseball, you, yeah. you'd have to go back to the 30s to right. really. But, again, sports have evolved, and it, and it was just built different. In the NBA, it was all a team sport, so people didn't focus on dribbling as much because it was all about cutting and passing. Sure. So you didn't have to do these one-on-one, get open, create your own shots, because the offense would create its own shot. Right. Like, that's what Tex winners in the triangle offense, and then eventually it evolved to now a lot more one-on-one style, because they figured out that's you get one dude who's just absurd. He can create off the dribble, he passes, but then in high school, everyone's the best guy. So again, the game's I'm also biased because I like football more than I like any other sport. It's my favorite sport to watch and to sure. talk about. It was my favorite sport to play, all of that, so maybe maybe I'm just biased that way, but I, I do I do really enjoy, and, and this is this is a testament to, uh, to the impact that Dylan Michaels can have on your life if you welcome him into your heart. I, I do enjoy, you know, the uh, watching Andy Heck out there with the uh, with the giant Seattle Seahawks shoulder pads and the yeah. old timey throwbacks. I, I do enjoy that. Yeah. Speaking of Andy Heck, I'm trying to give you the segue if you want to talk about Nick, 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 Nick Allegretti. Um, before I get into Nick Allegretti specifically, and I want to talk about him in, in general. Sure. My big overarching takeaway leaving the Bills game mm-hmm. is, and I've talked about it all season long, is the depth this Chiefs team has. And it makes it so much more impressive when you realize this depth the Chiefs possess 
is with a quarterback no longer on a rookie contract. Yeah. I, I, I really think that this should be talked about more because going into this game, a, a large talking point was the Bills and their injuries, all this stuff. Well, Josh Allen, if I'm not mistaken, was getting $18 million against the cap this year, mm. right? Not a lot. No. You should be able to have a full squad, and you should realistically have more depth. So that's his fifth-year option? Must have been his fifth-year option. Must have been. I, I must, or maybe he had a contract signed. Sure, so, they would wh- have, yeah, Whatever yeah. it was. Um, Five years, probably, right? And, yeah, and, okay. and so I'm sitting here going, the job Brett Veach has done, getting the depth. I know we've complained about wide receiver a lot, but look at the Bills' defense. They lost a cornerback, Tredavious White. The Chiefs in this game, for a while, lost Trip McDuffie. Who stepped up? Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams both made plays. Yep. They are on their third safety now, right? Because Brian Cook was the guy. They, he was they're on their third, second safety. Well, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. mean, so, like, yeah. they're, they're on safety four and five right now. Sure. But right. Jamari yeah. Connor. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. And, but he was four entering the. Correct. Yeah, Bush on the practice squad. And, and so you're sitting there going, but Jamari Connor had a phenomenal game. Yeah. Joe Tooney goes out of the game. He's all pro, first team all pro. It took a while before you noticed him. Out of the game because Nick Allegretti was doing that good of a job, and for some reason they never announced it on the TV. It was yep. really weird. I did not. I did not notice. I when we started the post partially because of our TV situation. Sure, yeah. But yeah. I I got to the post game show and I just like I don't know when Joe Tooney left or when if he came back yeah. or whatever because I just didn't know. And didn't so notice. you go there and then you go to linebacker and we all were I don't want to say wondering why, but you're sitting there going, wow, you spent second and third rounders on on Willie Gay Jr. and Nick Bolton and Leo Chanel. Why'd you bring in Drew Tranquil? Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, I actually lauded the, uh, because so I, thought, I. I thought the versatility. deal was, And the deal was great. The deal was great. Now, if it had been like a three-year, like $35 million, I looking back now, you'd, you'd probably still be like, yeah, it's pretty good. But, but again, at the time, great deal, solid player, made sense. But now you see why, because Willie yes. Gay Jr. got injured in that game. Nick Bolton's been injured a chunk of the season. But the play has not gone down. And so I think when we... Take a look back at this season, whenever it ends. Hopefully it's not until the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. I think depth will be the thing that rings true. Because we always know about Mahomes and Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey, but sometimes the unsung heroes, the guys that we rarely talk about, Mm -hmm. how many times, at least in this Chiefs run, have we talked about guys making plays that were not stars? Yeah, Daryl Williams, Damian Williams. Um, Obviously, I I think you can go back and take a look at... um, uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. It's on something. Uh, Andrew Wiley and Orlando Brown Jr. to an extent, actually. Absolutely, yeah. Um, which again, you saw the inverse of that in the Buck Super Bowl when they just ran out of depth, which is no offense to Mike Rimmers, who had a nice sure. season on the right side, but then puts on the left side and yeah. is, is put in the spin cycle. Uh, who played right tackle in that game? This is the first time I've blanked on the right tackle in that Super Bowl in a long time. Would it have been Andrew Wiley? I don't think so. You know that uh, Mike Remmers is also a man that gave up an MVP Super Bowl performance to Von Miller yeah. for the Carolina Panthers. Yep. Uh, well. From yeah. his uh, natural side, the right side. So yeah. That's how bad Mahomes was down, basically, his lineman. But again, just going to the... Get a bigger swig of that coffee. Sorry, dude. i got to stay up, man. Um, you can make, make to the commercial break. I'm trying to Google to see the starting right tackle. Was, was it, I don't think it was Wiley. I'll look into it. You keep talking. He may have been a guard, actually, then. Why... Like Wiley was a guard. and maybe maybe yeah. that was just when he got kicked out to the right side and got baptized a little bit and then stabilized later on. Um, but again, I I think when you look at the injuries that the Chiefs have heading into this game, a lot of the questionables, right? You know, maybe Joe Tooney is not going to play. He didn't practice today. It was by the way, real quick. Sorry, Allegretti, Wiley, Stefan Wisniewski, Austin Ryder, Mike Rimmers. So it was it was Wiley must have been at right tackle, Allegretti and Wisniewski at guard, Rimmers at left tackle. Mm. Lovely. 
Sorry for bringing that game back up. I, I, that's bad vibes for this week. But the Chiefs don't have that issue this year. Yep. This time of the season, this point of the season, every team has injuries. Right? Every single team does. Now, you might say the Ravens are getting back some guys that are relatively healthy. I think health is always going to be a big part. The Chiefs, knock on wood, have relatively been healthy in a large chunk of these playoff runs. Right? They really have been. Obviously, Mahomes got injured at one point, but they still found a way. Um, he's been injured at least a couple times. Three, I think he's been, really he's been injured in three playoffs, yeah. playoffs at this but, point. But, but, but again, and played I, through it. I, I'm sitting here going, we need to give more credit. We, yeah. We've been uh, ripping a lot on the wide receiver issues for good reason. Yep. I'm not saying Brett Veach can do no wrong. Yep. But I'm looking back at some of these teams, like the Bills were just so decimated, they had no one. And I'm sitting here going, that's just poor roster construction. Yep. That that's the lack of thinking. When your best edge rusher is Leonard Floyd. Nothing against Leonard Floyd. He had ten and a half sacks this year. That's you don't count on ten and a half sacks from Leonard Floyd. Like and you're paying a guy to be your number one edge rusher who did not get a sack for you this year. This entire so I'm sitting here going, some point we we have to do give, give some credit to the non superstars to the to the depth yeah. pieces and say, holy bleep, these guys are really doing a phenomenal job. Yeah, I think I think that's a good angle, and I'll. I'll give like a little bit on on a few different angles here because one with like Tranquil and Allegretti, those were deals that I I think you and I would have signed. You know what I mean? Like if we were the GM, we'd be like, well, this seems like not yeah. enough money, and these are good players, so yeah, we'll take it. And then Spags and Andy Heck can can figure out what to do with those guys, but. It's also not having bad contracts. Because, again, you have that Von Miller deal taking up a huge chunk of your cap. That's $25 million. Those are, that's five $5 million players you cannot add. Yeah. It, which means, do you know what you need to do instead? You need to hit on George Karloftis. If George Karloftis was a bust, this team is bleeped. In a lot of ways, because now yeah. you're you're trying to find another edge rusher to pay. You're already paying a minute who a little bit, and you've drafted. You have Chris Jones, or you're paying him a lot, but you know, long term, etc. It, it really is a lot of things working in concert. It's also the reason that like Felix and DK Uzama cannot be a bust. He cannot. He can be a red shirt, but he cannot be a whiff because if sure. you hit on him in Karloftis, you've got two good rookie edge rookie contract edge defenders that are building out your foundation. You can afford Charles Aminahu or, or whoever pieces you're going to fill in around. Well, and I will also the secondary say, obviously well, a good been, example has been phenomenal. Yeah. But, but but again with with FAU for example, it's why you can afford to give him a. Red shirt That's year, it. if you'll, because yep. if they needed him this year, yep. wouldn't be good. No. But the fact is the Chiefs did not need him this year, which almost allows them to develop and draft a more developmental type of prospect. Yep. Again, I, I don't know where they would have gone because it takes two to tango. They, they tried moving up, tried moving back. I understand, folks, they wanted to get someone else. You're not getting Puka Nakua there because no one was going to draft Puka Nakua in the first round, right? right. Like, I, I don't like that argument. So, FAU was the guy. To sunk cost at this point, he's on the team. But because he was more of a developmental guy, the Chiefs were okay drafting him there because they already had a floor guy in Mike Dan. They already brought in a guy in Charles who They already had a guy with a high floor in a, uh, maybe not the highest ceiling, but a decently ceiling with George Karloftis. A rising ceiling, it seems, still, yeah. He's already a Chief. I, George Karloftis right now, I think if, if, if what he just had was his best season as a pro, I would have probably taken that pre like after the draft. You know, know what I mean? You know what's funny? This is what I kept telling people. I go, he's not going to be a 16-sack guy, but he's going to be 8-12, to 8-11 to 11 year after year. This is who I thought George was. I'm really glad I got a guy right because I 
Lord knows I get some wrong. We've had, but, we've but had some with, with, with Karlov, this is a guy, and this is the reason why I wanted him so bad, because the floor in the year one, he can come in. Mm-hmm. You knew what he was going to get. Boye Mafe, you had zero idea. Right. Right. Give me Karlov. This was this year they could have taken Boye Mafe. Exactly. They, they, they ended up with Felix. Right. And, and so I'm sitting here again. I'm just, I, I've been very impressed by this, and the Chiefs' depth is going to be tested Against the Ravens. Because, yeah. again, Joe Tooney looking more like he's trending towards out. Yep. That's the trend right now. I'm not saying he's, again, he's the, I think you said he's a friendly cyborg, which I always laugh. Uh, I don't know if I, it's something they could have said. I don't remember saying it. Um, either I had a dream that you said it, and I just kind of attributed it to you, and maybe it was just my subconscious trying to give you credit here, I still but, want credit. If I okay. said that in a dream, I would like credit okay. in real life, too. But, but even if he's not Unless there, we're still dreaming. Oh. But Nick Allegretti is... An unfriendly cyborg. A really good backup, and it's yes. why you focus on the depth. And it's, yep. again, not saying it's a downgrade, but it's not like Nick Allegretti is this bum. Yes. Like, he's a really good guard, and that does not make me nervous about this game. Like, I, I'm not going to all of a sudden say, oh, my gosh, now the Chiefs have no chance. Right. Like, Mike Edwards, if he can't go, which I always find interesting that concussions seemingly heal quicker in the playoffs and the regular season. Seems to happen. Seems to happen a little bit. Again, if he's actually injured, I don't want him out there. But Chamari Connor. Great game. I'm not going to sit here and go, well, now the Chiefs have no chance because Chamari Connor's starting instead of uh, Brian Cook or Mike Edwards. And, like Willie Gay is going to be maybe the the, mo- the biggest inflection point because I think his athleticism is going to be hard to replace. Correct. And he was, again, like the cycle of all of this was Andy Reid did not mention him as not practicing at his presser today, but then nobody saw him at practice. And So what I have here... Do you have, a, do you have like an injury report? Injury I, have report? An little, injur- I have a little breaking news oh, okay. on the injury status, actually. Uh, Prince Tega Wanogo is returning to practice huh. and uh, can be activated off the IR at any time. Wow. So they have him and Sky Moore who could both be activated off of the IR. And you could you could swap, and it, uh, Sky didn't practice today, Herb but you could... Field Yates, excuse me. Hey, that's our guy, Field Yates. Yeah. You can hear Mondays on the zone. Um, I... That'll be interesting. Okay, yep. Um, so I'm looking at the injury report right here. The Chiefs practiced without five other starters outside of Joe Tooney, including Isaiah Pacheco with his toe. I don't think he's in legit... Um, I don't believe anyone believes Pacheco's going to miss the game. Yeah, he uh, talked tr- today, which yeah, is a good sign. Yeah. Trey Smith with an illness. I don't think he's going to miss the game with an illness. Right. Uh, linebacker Willie Gay Jr. with the neck, obviously. Uh, D-tackle Derek Naughty, who missed this past week with an elbow injury. And, and maybe he is a bigger loss that we're given credit to. I know he's not had the best year, and the PFF is not a fan of Derek Naughty, but he is a pretty big dude up there in the middle. I yeah. like Mike Pinnell. He made a couple plays, but I think you'd like to have at least more depth there than Mike Edwards with a concussion. Yeah, okay. So I don't know what the – I'm curious. We won't, I guess we won't, won't really find out until tomorrow um, or Friday or Sunday. Was Willie Gay supposed to practice today? Did he have something pop up? Did his neck get weird between eleven forty-five and practice at one? I think yeah. it was one. Um, or is that a you know? Did Andy Reid just forget to mention him because he forgot to mention him? Was he not on the note card? I don't know. So according to Jeremy Fowler from ESPN, said that X-rays of Gay's neck revealed no major damage, which is obviously a good sign, right? But I, we don't know. I, not no shade, but like I, we would imagine as much because it was a neck injury that showed up on Friday. He got downgraded on Saturday, mm. played on Sunday, and then left. So it's not like he had like what you would consider an, an obvious, you know, traumatic neck injury or something. I, I don't think we've gotten very many details on what it was. Yeah. But again, his first day limited. If I've got my, I checked all this. And as long as the sometimes injury reports will fluctuate, I guess. But sure. as long as the Chiefs had it right on their website. 
He was a, a non-note Wednesday, Thursday, limited Friday, downgraded Saturday. So sure. whatever happened would have happened Thursday night. He could have woken up with a with a twinge in his neck on Friday morning, sure. for all we know. Um, I just don't know what that takes to get him back out there. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're right that that would be the guy I would be most concerned about. We saw what happened when he we went out against uh, the Bills. He was the spy on the plays against Josh Allen. Josh Allen really took off when he went out. I think that was a big difference maker. Now, again, do you have the same issue with the Ravens? Lamar Jackson is faster than Josh, mm-hmm. but he's not as big. And he's easier to bring down. Maybe easier is not the correct term. But he's what- Once you have... Grabbed him. <laughs> he's easier to bring he, down. He's not two fifty. He's not a. It's harder to catch. Yeah. Easier to tackle. Maybe is that if that's the way you want to go. Either yeah. way, my, my my thought is, could you get away with Drew Tranquil? Could you get get away with a, a, a maybe? A, I'm not saying Drew Tranquil's small, yeah. but like Willie Gay Jr. is. That's a huge linebacker. I the other thing I think someone else mentioned this earlier in the week, so I apologize for where I'm stealing this from, but. Does spying Lamar Jackson make you feel a lot better about bringing him down one-on-one in space? Like, if you tell me that the, the, the offensive line has parted, and you've got Lamar and Drew Tranquil seven yards apart from each other, and Lamar tucks it, ah, I love Drew point. Tranquil. I'm going to imagine that Lamar is going to need a few guys to to close in around him and, and change sure. his pathing on that. Now, look, that that's, again... What does being a spy mean? How would Spags use it? How often would he well, use I've it? There's seen a lot Mad of Magazine, grounded. and so if I watching Mad Magazine is any indication on spies, look they, in the mirror, they're, man. They're very. <laughs> I mean, this this little little Ralph Lauren. Uh, uh, oh, you, 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 you said a classic or a class or classy Ralph Lauren. I just say Ralph Lauren. Isn't it pronounced Lauren? I'm, I don't know. I'm not. Dylan uh, pointed at Dylan me. Pointed at, I, I'm, I just must not be that classy. You're, 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 wearing, you're wearing a nine thousand dollars suit. Why don't you want to learn how to how to say Lorin? Let me check the tag on this suit. That's just penguin. That's not my fancy one. Ah, uh, nothing wrong with penguins though. I don't know. You like penguins. I love penguins. Yeah. Uh, all right. There's a fun stat I want to get into because I and think the tag's still on this suit. Fifteen grand sterling. Oh come on now. Uh, don't do that because someone's gonna like try and rob me and be like, "Wow, this guy's actually broke." Like, why? Why? Why did we do that? <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna joke about how you actually look great in your dad's suit, but I know that you have refit suits of a your dad's. Of my dad's suits, yeah. So not that joke one, doesn't even not land. this one. This one's a Stu Ridge. This, this is a this is a Stu uh, classic. Stu classic. Stu in, classic. In Stu classic, right yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of the statistics actually go in the Ravens' way as far as schematically and not a great fit for Kansas City. Mm-hmm. But there's one particular stat that really goes the Chiefs' way, and I want to get into this after the break. Briscoe is sticking with us on the home stretch. All right, Briscoe. I went to break teasing the fact that I don't think this is a good stylistic matchup for Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And we can get into more reasons why I don't think it is. But one positive, because I want to be positive, right? The Chiefs... They're the defending Super Bowl champions. They're in the AFC Championship game yet again. This is the floor in the Mahomes era. Yep. I know getting to Lamar can be hard because he's so shifty, so quick. He can he can be make some some back breaking plays, but also he he holds on to the ball a long time. They've passed the thirty second most in the NFL, so they don't pass a lot, right? But they're very efficient, fourth most or fourth highest yards per uh, I think attempt is what it mm-hmm. was. They're very very efficient in the pass. Mm-hmm. But they're 
get sacked at the 24th rate in the NFL. They get sacked a lot. They get Lamar, once you get to him, you can bring him down. And if you can get them behind the sticks, make him have to throw again. He's been pretty effective and efficient, but if you can get a second and 14, second mm-hmm. and 17, all of a sudden, Gus Edwards, that five-yard carry, not a game-changer. Right. First, first and... First and 10, you get a five-yard carry. Oh, now they're ahead. Right. So if you can sack the Ravens, which, again, they give up a decent amount of sacks, you won't see the actual sack numbers because they don't pass a lot, so mm-hmm. that's why the numbers won't look great. You can bring him down. Guess what the Chiefs rank in sack percentage? Uh, I'm going to say probably pretty pretty crappy, like 31st. Uh, they're, they're first. In the wow! Well, I didn't know if you knew they were first. No I, kidding? I thought it was pretty, pretty I'm not. You always take that. Bit wrong. I'm doing it to make it sound even more impressive. When you I, I know, the truth. but you sound it's the beards sh- bit. And yeah, I, I'm I still. Jason also doesn't really. I don't think he really likes it either. So I might need to just. I might need to recalibrate to the fact that, that is a beards bit, and yeah, not every beard beards bit. bit is a good bit for everybody. Yeah, like well, you like like how many M and M's in this three gallon thing that's completely full? And he goes like, I don't know, uh, eleven. Like right. that's funny, but right. that one. I was trying to make your stat more impressive, but Thank I actually you. undershot it. Yeah, I can I give you a counter stat? Yes. Cynthia Freeland told me today in the zone. You can check it out when you get your oh, podcast yeah. or whatever. Um, I, I may be off by two wins here. I can't remember if it was 18 total games or 20 total games, I, but I believe it was, was that when Lamar Jackson had 3.1 seconds or more time to throw, he is 18-2. and two. Ah. The most wrong I could be is that she said 16-2, to two, and then I thought, oh, that's 18 games, and I wrote down the wrong number. I sure. need, I meant to check the podcast before Either I way, the show. he's very good when he has time to throw. Extremely good. So I, I think that that, going along with, with, your, with your view there, paints a pretty clear picture. Get to him. And don't bleep around. <laughs> yeah. like, it, it ha- and, I mean, look, this isn't any secret in the NFL. Quick pressure is a good thing. Correct. But it extends to Lamar Jackson as well. And it, it seems even more dramatic. Again, this is, I'm trying to look for advantages for Kansas City, and here is one, is, again, the Ravens do not pass a lot. That, mm-hmm. the 32nd in the NFL, they're the first, mo- the highest run ratio in the entire NFL. They actually run more than they pass, which is pretty crazy, 51 to 49%. Wow. In today's NFL, that's why they tell someone from, like, 1947, like, why are they passing so They're much? Passing the balls <laughs> so much. So it also makes me wonder. Is even bringing that up mm-hmm. as mobile as Lamar is? I don't know if he's the best mobile passing quarterback, right? Like on the run or whatever. Like on you the mean. run, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because I how, how do we quantify that? What I'm looking at right now is it's tough in, in the the Chiefs' defensive line. Aminahu, especially the edge rushers mm-hmm. in particular, edge rushers mm-hmm. Karloftis and Aminahu. They have to play like they did against Miami and less yeah. like they did against the Bills. I think I agree with that. Because early on, and they changed a little bit in the fourth quarter, but the first three quarters against the Bills, they just kept trying to get Josh Allen whatever at whatever cost, but they weren't winning early, mm-hmm. and it just allowed a lot of running lanes. And, and, and real quick, also, the Bills were going so quick when they were throwing the ball, that horizontal stuff is in part like they just they didn't have a whole lot of time to get sure. there. Sure. But, but what I noticed against... Uh, the Dolphins, and not with Tua, but with Devon Achan and with Raheem Mostart, because those guys don't run north-south as much. They get, try to get out to the mm-hmm. outside. They would make those guys readjust. Yes. I'm not saying they brought down those guys, but then all of a sudden they made them turn, made them stop, and all of a sudden, who's waiting? Nick Bolton, uh, Drew Tranquil, and just a plethora of other guys. Right. So against Lamar Jackson, you do the same thing, pictured as Devon Achan. The difference is, though, they also run up the gut with Gus Edwards a lot, right. with Gus Bus, and then Lamar is the guy that can go to the outside, and it makes it a little more difficult. But 
you can't break contain. And that's going to be very hard, much easier said than done. I know I'll be screaming at my TV saying, what are you doing? Why, why, why are you breaking your run lanes? But in reality, it's like, oh, because you're thinking of three or four things off of this one exact play. But And there's a 300-pound man there trying to move stop, him yeah. out of the run lanes. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, so my I'm going to tie back into to Cynthia's stat again real quick. Because one thing that I don't want to be the story this week is, well, you just keep Lamar in the pocket and you make him throw the ball and, and you'll, nope. he'll, he'll implode. That was bad analysis a few years ago. It's terrible analysis right now. Yeah. It, it is not keep Lamar in the pocket so he can't run and make him throw. It is keep Lamar in the pocket as you are pressuring him and get there in less than three seconds, which Correct. is harder by a degree of difficulty and by an order of magnitude. And I, I think I, I think I am right now. And this is partially just a testament to the edge players being good and the secondary being incredible, both in coverage and as tacklers. I, I'm, I think I'm more worried about Gus Bus up the gut. The, the gut bus. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> Ugh. I think I'm more worried about the gut busts than uh, than I am Lamar going around the... You know, you bust a gut when you laugh too hard. You busted a gut. You know, that's a, that's a phrase people say. Sterling, you look uncomfortable. How's your gut? Did I bust your gut? Oh, please don't ever say that. Please. I'm sorry your gut's busted. I'm a little more worried about the Gus bus gut busting guts up the gut because I I do think that is a place where the Chiefs have a little bit of a of a of a talent disparity right now as opposed to the Ravens being very good at that. You look like you're in physical pain. You must have busted a gut. I don't like everything that just happened. Why are you the way that you are? You've never heard the phrase busted a gut? It's like crack up, laugh so hard your stomach hurts. Like your abs hurt. Busted a gut. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think you... It doesn't I, I, seem like you I will are. say the Chiefs secondary, they're going to have to play a lot of one-on-one. They're going to have to... I mean, and they've done a great job. This is nothing new. But Legereus Sneed, and luckily, to an extent... They don't have quite the horses in the wide receiver room. I kind of like the Ravens receivers. They're I good. Like, they have numbers. That's the thing that they worries me against the Chiefs is that the Chiefs, obviously, I think they have the best duo of starting corners in the NFL. I think that extends to being an incredible, whatever, top three or even four. And I like the safeties. But when Nelson Aguilar is option four or whatever, Nelson number four. Four wide receiver, not even yeah, n- absolutely. number, You're number right. six weapon if you count Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely. Yes. And, and that's also not talking about Lamar as a weapon or the running backs in sure. that or Patrick Ricard or whatever. Like, there's just, there are so many options there that I worry that the Ravens are going to get to choose their matchup pretty frequently, which is something else that Spag is going to have to try to limit. Uh, and I'm intrigued by how, how effective is Mark Andrews? Is he more of a decoy? Yeah. And I, and I said earlier, I said, uh, I think it was yesterday actually, and, and maybe I'm wrong here. I wonder if him on the field is a tell. I wonder how much they would run with him on the field. You know, he's obviously not going to be 100%. Sure. Yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I wonder if they, if when he's on the field, like, okay, here's a pass. here, here, Because here, Spagnolo and, and Nick Bolton in particular, they're, they're very smart. Nick mm-hmm. Bolton is a very intelligent player. And he, he would pick up on that, it seems like, very quickly. Uh, might make his life a little easier. But again, 12 personnel. We said it last week against the Bills with Dawson, uh, Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid. Um, this week, again, with the expectation that Mark Andrews is back with Isaiah Likely. Um, it's going to be difficult, man. Uh, the Chiefs say that Willie Gay was limited in practice today. Yeah. Along with Blaine Gabbert, also a random addition there. So hopefully, hopefully that's not a thing. Just being, just 
What are, you, what are you laughing about? Just, I mean, earlier, I just can't stop laughing. At it. You know, Briscoe comes on this show and just makes magic every time. Thanks, oh, he Dylan. Does. Yeah, he does. I appreciate that you busted a gut laughing at our fun. Don't put that on me. <laughs> I can't believe you guys haven't heard that phrase before. I don't know what you're so uncomfortable with. Grow up, Sterling. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the defense for a second here of the Ravens going against the Chiefs offense. We talked about 12 personnel. Again, mm-hmm. I said against the Bills, that's going to be paramount. And mm-hmm. early on, it looked like the Bills were going to take advantage of that. And then I, the Chiefs defense, fourth quarter, really stepped up. Now, against the Ravens, they obviously have two great tight ends, a good run game, and Lamar Jackson can can get off that, especially in 12 personnel. But when it comes to what the Chiefs can do offensively, I don't think one guy can take away Travis Kelsey, but if there was a guy... Kyle Hamilton seems to be the prototypical dude you'd look at. He's 6'4", 220. You think Justin Reed's a big safety. I, I, I like to think of Justin Reed as a big safety. He's listed at 6'1", 207. Kyle Hamilton, 6'4", 220. He's like a, he, is, he, is, um, he is a legitimately kind of hard-to-categorize type of player. Yeah. Like he exists as a unique, a unique kind of guy. I, imagine if Jamal Adams was like good in coverage. I can't do that. No mean. <laughs> that's so, so mean. Um, Jamal Adams is a really good player. Um, but that's just like the... Matt, it's Jamal Adams five years ago is what you're saying, right? Exactly. I mean, correct, yeah. yeah. And again, I'm not saying you can take away Travis Kelsey, but if there's one guy you'd say, let's see if we can create a player, take away what Travis Kelsey can do, you might look at a guy who's young, who's quick in his prime. Travis Kelsey is going to have to be the, the crafty vet that you see at the YMCA getting open, right? You're not going to win with athleticism. It's going to have to be the the shimmies, the shakes, and the uh, uh, is that a Eurostep or travel? Right, it's going to be one of those things. He's going to have to try and get open that way. And, and I think that that's still going to be something the Ravens have to account for with like a a worthy Travis Kelsey amount of attention. I don't think it'll ever be a one on one, you know, just brawl throughout the day. But I I do think it might give him a little bit of flexibility. And that's another thing with the Ravens and their linebackers too. The 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 the, the functional versatility that they have by by having a unique group of players and a defensive coordinator who is willing to do some weird stuff with those guys and yeah. try to present some different looks and, and give different answers to the questions that the Chiefs will, I guess, sort of uh, implicitly ask them. It, it does make me believe that there is going to be a layer in this game that will test the Chiefs' offense in a way the Dolphins and Bills could not, yes. partially schematically, mostly because of the injuries. And we talked about this before the Bills game, if I'm not mistaken. I think, it, I think it was with you. Probably. I was talking about that. I said, you can get away with focusing on Travis Kelsey, Rasheed Rice, and Pacheco against the Dolphins. You can yep. do it against the Bills, but you can't do it against the Ravens and the Niners. Yep. Based on their secondary and just how deep they are, the mul- multiplicity at all levels that they possess, right? Yep. A tertiary guy, receiver, not not Pacheco, tertiary receiver is going to have to step up. Yep, I agree. We actually did see it against the Bills with MVS, yep. right? I think you can make the case that that was the tertiary guy. Absolutely. They needed that. At Justin Watson dropped the ball. McCole Hardman punted one through the end zone. Yeah. That's, your, that's your balance there. You can get away with that yep. against those two teams. Yep. You cannot get away with it against the Ravens, and that's what I, I, I'm a little skeptical about. Me we too. have been... Rightfully so, very critical of this wide receiver room. Uh huh. It was bad. This is a game that they cannot be bad in, and we have to see the outlier game. We have to see playoff MVS coupled with Justin Watson and McCole Harmon or whoever that's going to be. If Sky Moore's back, if Kadarius Tony's back, one of those guys is going to have to step up and say, "All right, I need to," because they are so good defensive. The Ravens, 
they don't have a weak link like the Bills had. Right. They didn't have a weak link like the Miami Dolphins had. There's no one to pick on, so you got to get a one-on-one, and you have to win. And that's that's also kind of the story of where I'm at right now. Against the Dolphins, their their newfound weaknesses due to injury were not going to be able to take advantage of some of the Chiefs' weaknesses, which had been test those tackles and, and then see what you can do in the secondary yeah. uh, against those those underperforming receivers. Against the Bills, the, the linebacker losses they suffered, a little bit at corner, but really the linebackers, they gave the Chiefs something to attack. Like, that, that was a glowing... <laughs> Let's say a glowing, just to pick a thing, green dot on the helmet of a player who was straight off the practice squad the week before. Literally calling the defense. Against Baltimore, it's the inverse of that in a lot of ways. I I think that a lot of the Chiefs' issues are going to probably be exacerbated by how good this, this Ravens' defense can be. And I... I think that you can get playoff MVS... Catching passes that hit him in the hands or making making good catches like he did against the Bills. Sure. I don't think Justin Watson's gonna magically start getting open more often. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. a that is a tough one for me to see. And and look, you're gonna get Mahomes YOLO mode, putting the ball in any window he can find. We we will see Mahomes test the limits of physics in this game. By the way, just little aside here, I was doing the KC Mavericks coaches show at Chicken and Pickle yeah. yesterday, last night, mm-hmm. and um, I believe it was Justin Watson, Dylan was there and pointed it out, he was doing some charity event there, in the other, in one of the rooms there, and I walked in with Justin Watson and did not realize it. I was That's like, wild. Look, because like, they're always wearing their helmets, and like I wasn't like actually looking. He's wearing his helmet at Chicken and Pickle, that's crazy. <laughs> but, but You definitely should have noticed. Yeah. Yeah, he's wearing a jersey. Yeah, that's great. A name on the back. No, here. but but you're so used to those guys always wearing a helmet, sure. and then you're not used to really seeing their face a ton. And I didn't get a great look. I was side by side with him walking in, but I was I was telling him, I go, I go, dude, this guy's a big dude. He was walking. I was like, man, he's a. I walk. This guy was. This he dude must be a pickleball machine. He, he's he's cut, dude. And he's like, I think that's Justin Watson. And I look <laughs> over. I, look, I see a look at his face. I'm like, that's that's Justin Watson. And we're both like. You don't always realize how big these guys are. Yes. Until you see them. Because my, my take was, wow, what a random, huge human being. Most most professional football players will give you that experience. And then a few of them are shocking in terms of like, wow, this, like, again, Tyreek Hill or whatever. Like, oh, no, yeah. we're like, it, it makes guys like him or like some of the smaller running backs yeah. even more impressive. It's like, wow, like. You're just you're living a life around a bunch of giants, and you're you're the same height as me, but you're built out of twisted steel, and you can run a four. What was it? The guy for the is it for the Ravens who's like five six one fifty five, and I'm like he's a punt returner. I'm sitting here going, so he makes me look big, right? Like I'm five ten one seven. He makes me look like I'm a larger human being, and I'm sitting here going. If I took one hit, I'm dead. And I saw you get pinned by two guys and stay on your feet. It it really puts into perspective how impressive these guys are as athletes. It, it's wild, and then again, like I remember going up to Chiefs training camp at one point as a, a relative youngin and standing near Tano Passanio and being mm. like, "Oh, oh, oh it, no, sorry." Well, he was one. Tyson Jackson, or much earlier than that, also was like, "Oh, this dude is a mountain." You remember how does Dorsey do or? Uh, yeah, I love, I love, dude, I loved all those those highly drafted uh, Chiefs defensive linemen. Those those were my dudes. Uh, but I was like, yeah, how how does Deuce Vaughn live in this world? And yeah. and obviously, you know, he didn't get a ton of playing time this year. But like, he was an incredible college football player. Also surrounded by mountainous guys around him. It's it's crazy. Uh, let's take a break. Come back. We'll play a quick little game of this or that.
thinking of Deontay Hardy? Is that who we were thinking of? I don't think so. He's listed at 5'6". What's he weigh, though? There's a guy with 155. I don't know. That's what they said on the announcer. Who cares? All I, I had was this. I don't have that. Do you have that? I don't have that. Do you uh, have that? Uh, no. Do you? But do the Bills blow this thing up? How different will they look next year? That's not really a this or that. I know, but just answer a conversational it's, question. Is Sean McDermott in or out? I think he keeps his job, but I don't think he should. Uh, Dolphins. Kick out Vic Fangio. Right yeah. decision or bad decision? Kind of a weird decision. I saw one tweet that said he wanted to be closer to his family in Pennsylvania, and, mm. and it sounds like he's going to the Eagles, so yeah. that would make some sense, I guess. Kind of weird, though. Uh, is that weirder than the Raiders naming ex-Chargers exec? Telesco as the GM. Tommy T, baby. Uh, yeah, no, that's crazy. The best tweets were the ones of, like, Tom Telesco, who built one of the NFL's best rosters over the course of a decade in the NFL. Like, yeah, and they seem to win a lot with that. Well, they won a lot of off-season banners, man. They they hung so many in SoFi. Also, like, going from Rivers to Justin Herbert, like, you, you had a great quarterback, and you drafted a great quarterback. Congratulations. Uh, the rest of the roster, I mean, whatever. Yeah, I get it. That weird hire. I The Chargers always underachieve. Now the Raiders can do that, too. Uh, Brian Callahan, former OC of the Bengals, now the Titans head coach. Good move for the Titans. I probably, it seems like there's a, at least a cohesive like vision of how they want to rebuild that organization there now. I wouldn't have probably fired Mike Vrabel. Yeah. Um, I saw a tweet also that like I think every NFL team or maybe every AFC team has now changed offensive coordinators in the last like two years or something wild. Uh, so yeah, that's fine, I guess. I'm, I would be whelmed, I think, by that hire at the moment. Does Harbo go to the NFL? Harbo! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, Harbo, the, uh, what's Haribo what? gummies. Yeah, Haribo gummies. Yeah, I think the Haribo gummy bears are gonna probably be coaching the, uh, Los Angeles, uh, char, uh, uh is it, is it Chargers? Cargers. Cargers. I think, I think, I think he's, I think Harbo's probably coaching the Cargers. Uh, all right, the Chiefs have had an advantage on special teams every single, pretty much week. But this one against the Baltimore Ravens seems more like a push. Yeah. How big will special teams be in this game? Probably a pretty big deal. The teams both have kickers they trust with their lives. The rest of it will probably be what it tells. And the Chiefs have had their ups and downs. Uh, will there be a 50-plus yarder drained by either one of those two? two I dudes? would say yes. I'd love to find that bet. Yeah, I want to see that uh, See that one on a 50-yarder. Yeah, I think, I think that'll be good. Briscoe, this is fun. This is great, man. I busted a gut today.